This conference asks us to look ahead to war in 2025, to be interested in war, interested in a war so near it will definitely and personally be interested in me and all of you. If you were to ask me uh, what might war in 2025 be, I would... The United States population, now they're forecasting it to sit at 99,553,100 people in 2025. So they're still forecasting a massive depopulation for America by 2025. What's up, y'all? Live from FEMA Region 2, back at it one more again for the most dangerous two hours in radio on the wake up with your host this evening, your brother Cam Kazi the Cutlass. Shout out to my co-host, my brother John, the Masonic Marine from the Truth Booth Podcast. Shout out to super producer Cindy Ashby for bringing this all together. Shout out to the whole On the Wake Up Radio family and shout out to you, the listener, the On the Wake Up Radio army. You can check us out at onthewakeupradio.com, where we have the live broadcasting 24-hour radio network. That's right, onthewakeupradio.com. Check us out over there. Um, you can also check us out on, you know, the usual platforms, the SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Check us out on there. Definitely hit that like button and hit that share button. Please share this content with someone who you feel is on the wake up and ready to hear this real stuff because it is 2022 and the clock is counting down. So check us out on those platforms, ladies and gentlemen. Also, check us out on otwtube.com. otwtube.com, that is our social media platform. In the age of censorship, it is important to have the conversations that we're having and for the content that we share and folks like us share. It's, it's important for this content to get out there and for people to judge for themselves whether they want to engage in this type of conversation or in this content in the first place. So definitely go over there, create an account on otwtube.com and join in the conversation. Don't let these, uh, these technocrats censor you and stifle the conversation in the end of the day because you see what's going on out here and we're going to talk about that this evening a little bit just the amount of censorship and the implications of that censorship too because this is not the time in history where we want our conversations to be blocked by bureaucrats whether it's bureaucrats governments technocrats anything like that you don't remember what technocrats are Check us out. Check out a show we did a couple weeks. I can't remember what the show was, but where we were actually going through technocracy, the hard road to world order. I see you, Bruce. See you, Bruce. Um, technocracy, the hard road to world order. 
this book is uh this book was uh published in 2018 and honestly this is like the blueprint to technocracy and what we see right now i mean he goes in he even talks about the uh how technocracy a big part of technocracy is the control of the supply chain and mind you like i said this book was written in 2018 was published in 2018 he's been doing research for a long time and um the man's name is patrick m wood patrick m wood so if you get a chance check out his book technocracy the hard road to world order because that gives you a good idea of what a technocrat is and how they plan on implementing their plans and it's not some benevolent you know scheme to uh improve the environment or society or social equity nothing like that technocracy has nothing to do with that it has to do with complete and utter control to the point and basically um forcing people to submit to your will so that that's it in a nutshell and you know we can talk more about that as we go on with the program this evening but you know th this is not the time for uh for censorship and for conversation to be stifled and, and that's uh the main point of what what i want to get across so whew, check us out at otwtube.com that's free speech social media right there otwtube.com create an account you can find me on there kazi cutlass and um a lot of the videos and the content that's being deleted from other social media platforms it's finding its way on to otwtube.com. So we, we just want to encourage more people to sign on because the more people that sign on, the more people who get to um, interact with this type of content and really put up what they have to say as well. So much to talk about tonight. Just warming up the mic at first. You know, it's, it's been a um, crazy week. Every week is a crazy week if you haven't noticed, right? Every week is a crazy week. There's something going on. And something that we um, we like to we've been saying on this show really since about coming into 2020. I'm saying telling you that you're gonna have to go back on old content because what I mean by old content is really pre-COVID content. You already know, folks, take out your pens, papers, notebooks, textbook, edit, Microsoft Word, whatever you have to take out to take some notes. You can pull up a browser. That way, if I mention a term that you may be unfamiliar with, you can just type it into your favorite browser, your favorite search engine and see what comes up. So every week we're coming across some new stuff. One thing we mentioned in the last couple of shows, we were uh, playing clips from Mark from Michigan. That's his nickname, but he's a uh, Mark Cornkey. Hope I'm not jacking up his name. He was, um, he worked, he, he worked for intelligence. I'm not sure exactly what agency, military man intelligence he was from back in the 90s now and mark from michigan i mean he has this um this series three three-part series called america in peril and in america in peril he dropped so many jewels like it was pretty much every sentence he said was something that you could look up now and go down your own rabbit hole so one thing that stood out to me was the multi-jurisdictional task force, the idea of the multi-jurisdictional task force. And not just the multi-jurisdictional task forces, but the implications of them. And he talked about the ATF, how back then it was BATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, and how it was shortened to ATF. 
And same thing with the multi-jurisdictional task force. That was MJTF. Now that was shortened to JTF, Joint Task Force. And so the joint task forces are these, uh, if you see what's about to happen in New York, between New York and different state lines, is they're going to create, in air quotes, create these joint task forces. And these joint task forces will be tasked with stopping the flow of illegal guns from other states. Now, I've been saying this for a while, and I definitely want to put it on record. I believe what's going on, because if, if anyone, especially if you're from New York and if, or have been tuning into New York news, you see these two officers that were shot and killed a week or two ago. And if you... In, in New York, there are a lot of shootings occurring, especially in the Bronx, New York. And one thing that you'll notice about these shootings and the people who are getting caught with guns, it's a lot of teenagers, okay? So it's not like 20, 30, 40, 50-year-olds getting caught with guns. It's not a whole bunch of OGs from the 1990s getting caught with guns. It's a bunch of teenagers, high school kids, okay? And you got to ask the question, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's not that much money. You know, the money supply is kind of running short. There's less money in the hands of the people. And you have to ask the question, how is it that these teenagers are, are obtaining these guns, these firearms so easily in a city like New York, where there ain't a gun store in New York, okay? And so I believe that I believe what we have occurring in New York is a fast and furious type of thing where there's probably some gun running, you know, some government agency is running some guns into New York City, it's falling into the right hands, and it's just a matter of time until a big enough crisis occurs that now they can come in and say, oh, we need tighter gun control and we need a multi-jurisdictional task force as they're doing. And the irony, and folks, you're going to have to go back on you know, a few weeks ago where we first started talking about this multi-jurisdictional task force, this this concept that Mark from Michigan dropped on us back in like 93, 94, somewhere around there, that soon after we started talking about that, just ironically enough, that's when the officers were shot. And then that's when Mayor Eric Adams of New York was, you know, talking about this task force, this multi-jurisdictional task force. And so you're going to have to go back a few weeks to check that out. All that to say, this task force is now going to be created to, um, to somehow stop the flow of firearms between different states, like the western border of New York and, Pen and the eastern border of Pennsylvania, where you might have a gun show in Pennsylvania, but now you're going to have some kind of apparatus there to either check or stop people who they believe are coming from that gun show. They may even have people being spied on and maybe checking license plates. Who knows how they're going to do it? But this is just something, you know, we talk about the weaponization of the infrastructure. This is just tighter weaponization of the infrastructure. So what happens now when you have a blue state that's bordered by a red state, okay? Just imagine that every blue state that is bordered by a red state Every state that has looser gun laws that's bordered by blue states, there will be, in my opinion, from what I'm seeing, 
I'm guessing there's going to be some kind of apparatus there to stop people from bringing those guns from gun shows they're saying right now. But in the end of the day, I believe it's a gun running situation. I believe that there are federal agencies involved. It might be Department of Justice because we saw that in the Fast and Furious, um, fat, uh, the Operation Fast and Furious, where weapons were being given to the cartels, to the Mexican cartels, the Sinaloa cartel specifically. And then the, the plan was when the cartel members got caught in the U.S. coming over the border, the DEA and whoever would capture them and say, ha, look, we got the guns. We got uh, uh, guns that were being trafficked from, from the United States. Then they can say, oh, we need tighter gun laws because these are landing in the hands of cartels. Well, that was a botched operation because uh, a border patrol officer got killed. And that's basically how it became disclosed because they found out that the gun that killed them was a Fast and Furious gun. It was old shit show. Didn't work out the way that they wanted it to. And if y'all remember when El Chapo was caught, when he was finally captured, one of the firearms was a 50 caliber rifle. And that was a rifle that was sent over to the cartel through Fast and Furious. You remember that? El Chapo was tried in New York. When El Chapo was tried, his attorneys tried to, they wanted to admit the fast and furious information into evidence and the FBI stopped it. Now we could go into a lot about what that is. You know, that's an obstruction of justice. That is tyranny. The definition of tyranny when the, when the government or a federal agency can, can basically stifle due process because they don't want their dirty laundry being aired on record, on public record. Yeah, that's tyranny right there. But people don't identify that as tyranny. So we'll just leave that, just let you marinate on that. Y'all can look that up if you want. This is a true fact. This is all truth that I'm spitting right here. A major part of that was when, as part of the deal, and this was in El Universal, and we talked about this in the past. I think it was in our Operation Gladio episode, perhaps. You're going to have to go back in the archives, folks, because I don't know what episode it is. We did this, covered this two, three years ago. Maybe more, because it's been two years since the pandemic, right? So maybe three, four years ago, something like that. Um, it might have been an Operation Gladio episode. Um, peace, peace, love and light. Peace, I see you. It might have been... Um, three or four years ago, actually, that we talked about this, it, it, but it might have been the Operation Gladio episode. But I read an article from El Universal, and in El Universal, they didn't just say that the U.S. Um, gave guns to the cartels. They said that the DEA came into their country and violated national sovereignty and worked with the narco-terrorists, because that's what they call the cartels down there. They worked with the narco-terrorists in order to eliminate other narco-terrorists that they had, a, that they gave the Sinaloa cartel direct access to Chicago to traffic their drugs to Chicago, use, use Chicago as the basically the, uh, the, the waypoint for, um, excuse me, the, the key point to traffic their drugs to the rest of the world, country and the rest of the world, from Chicago to New York to the East Coast to West Coast of Africa, Nigeria, and from Africa into Europe, 
okay? So this is what was done. This was the sweetheart deal that the Sinaloa cartel was given. All they had to do was use those guns that they were given by the U.S. to wipe out the other cartels in Mexico. And best believe, they didn't need those guns from the U.S., but they struck a deal because the U.S. wanted to control the flow of drugs. They knew they couldn't completely control it, so they said, okay, let our guys be the ones to bring it in. Let the ones that we have a relationship with be the ones to bring the drugs into this country. So when you look at the violence that's occurring in Chicago, do you think that the Sinaloa cartel or that any other cartel might have some involvement with the amount of guns that are just popping up in Chicago. And then look what's going on in New York right now and probably in other cities uh, across the U.S. I just don't know. I just know what's going on here. And if you look at what's going on in New York City right now, the amount of gun violence is like, where are these guns coming from and how are they ending up in the hands of teenagers? And then the teenagers, oh my God, like the shit that's going on right now. I was speaking with one of my sisters earlier, and, and we were just talking about the amount of frequencies that are being pumped through, the, you know, whatever. It's the 5G, the antenna, whatever it's going on. People are really being impacted by these frequencies right now. Some people are just, you know, some people are having direct attacks. Some people are feeling certain levels of malaise. Some people are going out of their fucking minds right now and everything in between. So, at, you know, you always have you also have to be aware that there's frequencies that are playing on people's emotions, okay? You see the amount of depression, people committing suicide, like there's a lot of different factors playing into it. There's the economy, there is the the coronavirus, there is all that shit. Oh yeah, folks, we're about to start talking some hot shit, so definitely go on to onthewakeupradio.com. You can listen in on there. Do yourself a favor, go to onthewakeupradio.com where you can listen to the smooth, uninterrupted broadcast, onthewakeupradio.com, because as soon as I start talking this shit, you already know it's it's about to get goofy on the IG. All I'm saying is there there is, um you know, we talk about the weaponization of the infrastructure, and the mili- militarization of the infrastructure. It's occurring right now. It's never stopped. And it's just increased, especially with this pandemic. So be mindful of that, okay? Hold on. One of my young bucks wants to come in here. Yeah. yeah you know, we talk about the militarization of the infrastructure. What's up, man? What's up, bro, bro? Chilling. How you doing? Just checking in and coming in on the show. So this is my man Bruce right here. My man Bruce. What up, everybody? What up on the wake up? Yeah, man. Uh, what's on your mind today? Um, I heard you talking about um technology and new world order. Mm. Oh yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was something that I heard, and I was like, hmm. That sounds interesting. Yeah. It's, it's literally what we're going through. Yeah, man. This is, um, it's a uh, technocracy. And, you know, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Technocracy is basically, you know, th- there's a whole technocracy, a, te- a technocrats, uh, what do you call it? Manifesto, if you will. I don't have it up right now, but trust me, it's all fucked up. Nothing good about it. And technocracy is ultimately they want to replace democracy 
and democratic governments with technocracy. So people are pushing for socialism, communism, all that, and capitalism, all that stuff's gonna be wiped out when technocracy comes. They're just setting the stage for a technocratic government. And technocrats are people like Bill Gates, like Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, the you know people like Michael Bloomberg, like Jeff Bezos. These people are technocrats. They think they're better than us, and they have the means to impose that level of discrimination. Look how Jeff Bezos treats his employees. He treats them like see, he got people pissing in bottles just to make their time and quota. You know, in the back of the Amazon van. This is facts. Their, their model, their business model, is designed for not for the retention of employees. They want to have a turnover of employees in their factories, maybe every 30 days or something like that. So when it comes to kind of like how they treat labor, that, you know, it's, it's anti-human, it's inhumane, and it's for a purpose. So people, people have to understand this when it comes to technocracy and technocrats. You're not dealing with, these are like James Bond supervillains. We've been saying it for the longest time on this show. These people are like James Bond supervillains. So the, the sooner you understand that, the better you'll be, you'll be able to navigate what we're experiencing right now. Um, so I just want to highlight some of this again from the book, Technocracy, The Hard World to World Order by Patrick M. Wood. I just want to highlight some of the points of um, technocracy and its implementation, right? So this is from page 13. The official requirements for technocracy are seen on page 232 of the study course and were considered necessary for a normal operation of the technate. The study course, I think it's called the study course of technocracy, published in 1934, the end of 1934. That is the blueprint for the implementation of technocracy. So one, Register on a continuous 24-hour day basis the total net conversion of energy. So every piece of energy that is created in a day, used or converted, is documented. It is registered. This is before they had computers, sophisticated computers too, okay? But this is how they were, this was their projection for the future. Two, by means of the registration of energy converted and consumed, make possible a balanced load. So basically balancing their books at the end of every 24-hour period, okay? Number three, provide a continuous inventory of all production and consumption. That means everything I consume, you consume, however much this phone consumes, this computer consumes, these lights consume, I consume in a day and produce. How much I produce and I consume continuous inventory of all production and consumption. Continuous inventory. Number four, provide a specific registration of the type, kind, etc., of all goods and services where produced and where used. So that means from the time you purchase this cup, or better yet, this pen right here, from the time you purchase this pen and who's using it, that to the person that's using it, not just, oh, it's purchased in the store. No, we want to know who purchased it in the store. All right. Number five, provide specific registration of the consumption of each individual plus a record and description of the individual. Okay. So back to the people. Hey, I, peace. I see you, Dale G. Okay. I see you. Six, allow the citizen the widest latitude of choice in consuming his individual share of continental physical wealth. Okay. Number seven, 
distribute goods and services to every member of the population. So things like that sound good, but they're not being done for the good of the population. And some other things, private property would be eradicated altogether. Private property, so this isn't my pen. This isn't my pen. I'm just the end user of this pen, okay? Private property would be eradicated altogether. Everything would be owned in common by the technate and controlled by them. So the Bill Gateses and all of them, they would actually own everything. All price-based currencies would be abolished and replaced by a system of energy certificates. So folks, pay attention to like the carbon credits and all that. Go and look up. I challenge people, if you have a computer, go and look up a flight to anywhere you want to go and look at the energy consumption that comes up on it, right? I believe it's the energy consumption that they that they note now, okay? Emissions. They're going to let you know the amount of emissions that it takes to get there, okay? This is the slow implementation of the system. I've never seen that before this year, honestly. It may have been there last year. may have been there two years ago. I just wasn't aware of it. But now when you go and look up flights, it tells you the amount of emissions. That's let you, letting you know that this system is being implemented. Energy certificates would be issued at the start of an accounting period and expired at the end of it, preventing accumulations of, accumulation of savings for future needs. So whatever you have is what you have. At the end of the accounting period, it goes away and you start over again. That means no accumulating money in the bank. That means your cryptocurrency. That means your savings. That means getting an interest rate, uh, uh, a percent of interest on your savings in the bank. All that shit goes away. You don't accumulate any savings. What you have is what you have. All conceivable human needs, food, housing, transportation, medical, retirement, etc., will be met by the technate at their sole discretion. So again, you don't need to worry about it. You just need to play your role. If you whatever you are, whatever piece you are, whatever little widget you are in the matrix is what you are. You don't need to worry about money. You don't need to worry about savings. You play your role, and the technate is going to take care of everything for you. Okay, the super duper nanny state. Traditional systems of government would be abolished, including Congress and state governments. You thought you had rights? Not anymore. A continental board of technocrats would manage all economic and societal affairs according to functional and service sequences defined by and run by themselves. So this is like, look at what Congress does right now. They can't really raise the minimum wage or they can't raise wages, but every time the vote comes around, they give themselves a little more money. They say, I think we need a raise, guys. Yes, we need a raise. I agree. Everybody agree. Everybody agrees we need a raise. That type of shit. No accountability, no checks and balances. They do what the fuck they want to do, okay? That's why this uh, country like this and this world is ripe for technocracy because our governments are so out of control at this point. There's no, listen, this is um our country. The United States is not a democracy. It is a constitutional republic. It is a constitutional republic, which means you have a constitution and we're supposed to abide by the rules of the constitution and the bill of rights. And at the point where the government becomes a little overreaching, any, any, laws or any um, powers that are not specifically granted to the government are given to the people, which means all these extra laws and shit are basically illegal and unlawful. At the point where the government becomes tyrannical, it is the duty and the responsibility of the people to remove them and establish 
a more harmonious form of government, a form of government that's more in line with their values, their wants, and their needs. There used to be a term that we used to call the government public servants. They serve the public. They're no longer public servants. They are more like masters and overlords now. They tell us what to do. They tell the people what to do. And if we don't comply, they use strong arm tactics. Then they use bureaucracies. They use people like the IRS right now. They're using HHS, Department of Health and Human Services, to basically bend people to their will. And if people don't bend through their will, you you remember, um, what did this son of a bitch say? He said, oh, yeah, he, t- he said, uh, Joe Biden, Jim Crow Joe, he said, he said, our patience is running thin. Our patience is wearing thin. What the fuck you mean your patience? And nigga, my patience is wearing thin. What are you talking about? Where in the Constitution does it say your patience can wear thin on me? Okay? Remember this, ladies and gentlemen. We say it all the time on this show. The, it, the government is not going to take away firearms and weapons until it's until they want to do something that they would get shot over. Just want that to marinate. Just want that to sink in for a moment, okay? The government is not going to remove weapons from the people until they're going to do something that they would get shot over. That's the facts. We went to war in 2003. We attacked Saddam Hussein. We dropped bombs on Baghdad. And we completely devastated Iraq, the nation, the people, all that. Because Iraq, excuse me, Saddam Hussein was allegedly a tyrant. But you know what was also in every household in Iraq? Fully automatic AK or something of the likes. Fully automatic, not this semi-automatic bullshit. They had automatic weapons in their homes in Iraq. What kind of tyrant would allow his people to have fully automatic weapons. It's just something to think about. Would Joe Biden allow every American household to have fully automatic weapons? <laughs> Education would be trans. There's another back to the technocracy, back to the technocrats. Education would be transformed into human conditioning, folks. Go to onthewakeupradio.com and tune in. I'm telling you, you can come in and out of the IG live. Onthewakeupradio.com will remain there so you get the crisp, clear transmission. Because this is what happens. You see, we start talking about some shit and all of a sudden it's breaking up. That's how it's going to go from this point on. Back to the technocracy. Education would be transformed into human conditioning to prepare students for a lifetime of work chosen for them by by the technique. Have y'all ever seen this show called Colony or The Colony? It might be Colony with no the. But in it, it's about, you know, an alien invasion and it takes place in L.A. But in this show, something interesting about this show, they job people's algorithms were put, people's, you know, names and professions were put through an algorithm. And then this algorithm would spit out which job they were best suited for. That's what this reminds me of. And so you had people who were put, put in position of, you know, let's say block governor or something like that, uh, a region, a region of block governor. 
And they're like, I don't know, you know, I was a, a used car salesman before this, but it was something about their personalities. There would be someone who would, um, you know, they'd basically stab anyone in the back to get over. They wanted a certain character, a certain personality, certain character traits. They were the proxy governors. So, you know, they'd be proxy so-and-so, proxy Schneider. So these were the type of people that were put into those positions. And it was, you know, that's what this reminds me of right here. Education would be transformed into human conditioning to prepare students for a lifetime of work chosen for them by the technique. Point blank. And the last one, science and the scientific method would be the sole guide to decision making throughout the technique based on collected data. Now, people, again, another, another person like that is Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci is most definitely a technocrat. If you see him when he was up there lying to Congress about, you know, his gain of function studies and all that stuff with that smug little smile he had, like, he knew that NIH was involved in, in gain of function. I mean, and John and I, we went over this weeks ago. You're going to have to go back and, and find what show that's in where we pulled up the actual research paper, the actual peer-reviewed paper that said it was funded by the NIH. It was a Wuhan research paper or something about gain-of-function studies, something along those lines. And yeah, NIH, uh, NIH's name was on it. So to, so to uh, oh no, yeah, NIH was on it. So, so to say that, that Fauci had no knowledge of this was a, a flat-out lie. But it's okay. But that's, you know, so someone like that is a technocrat. So when these people talk about trust the science, now this is the point. When these people talk about trust the science, trust the science, what they're not talking about, they're not saying trust the science. They're telling you to listen to whatever they say and do not question what they say. It's not about trusting the science. It's about being obedient and not questioning what you're being told. Okay, so that, that's the era that we're living in right now is the do as I do, not as I say. What's up? What you got? Nah, um, you know, even when it, when it comes down to technology in the world, like, it really is the new world order. Like, even when it comes to, like, like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. that's another new world order. It's a way for the world to be under one thing, and that's electronical. The world is trying to is trying to boil everything down to the internet right now. Mm -hmm. And breaking up. Mm. It's a goddamn shame. He was saying some shit too. Don't worry, Bruce. We'll get back to you on that comment. We'll get back to you on that. That's what happens, folks. That's why we tell you tune into onthewakeupradio.com. You can stay on the IG, but you see what happens, the amount of interference that we get from these social media platforms, which is also why it's important to create an account on otwtube.com, otwtube.com. It's just as good as Instagram, but better because it doesn't have censorship. You back? Yeah. Okay, what are you saying? What are you saying? So yeah, go back, just just say it again, New World Order, tech, uh, electronic. Yeah, I just think that, you know, the way that Amazon is running the world and running like, how even like my generation we live off of amazon mm -hmm. so in my opinion there will, there's going to be a point where there's not even going to be stores it's going to be big amazon warehouses 
and then you're going to have your supermarkets, your restaurants, and then you're going to have like your Gucci and your Louis Vuitton stores and like Chanel and all that. That's going to be the world in a few years because Amazon is really, Amazon is, is, an, is the new world order. Mm. So. Ooh. And so that thing you just said, uh, I, I'm not, I don't even know if you realize how deep that is, what you just said, because keep game. Let me see if I can find it. Cause we talked about this, um, talked about this a few times over the last weeks, over the last few weeks, Amazon, what do you call it? WikiLeaks, um, did this drop October 11, 2018. And it's the Amazon Atlas. If y'all go to WikiLeaks right now, you can find it. 11 October, 2018. Today, 11 October, 2018, WikiLeaks published a quote unquote, highly confidential internal document from the cloud computing pr provider, Amazon. The document from late 2015 List the addresses and some operational details of over 100 data centers spread across 15 cities in nine countries. To accompany this document, WikiLeaks also created a map showing where Amazon's data centers are located. Amazon, which is the largest cloud provider, is notoriously secretive about the precise locations of its data centers. You hear that? It is notoriously secretive about the precise locations of its data centers. While a few are publicly tied to Amazon, this is the exception rather than the norm. More often, Amazon operates out of data centers owned by other companies with little indication that Amazon itself is based there too or runs its own data centers under less identifiable subsidiaries such as VA Data Inc. or VA Data Inc. In some cases, Amazon uses pseudonyms to obscure its presence. For example, at its IAD77 data center, the document states that Amazon is known as Vandalay Industries on badges and all correspondence with building managers. So these people are running around with with fake fake credentials for for uh, shadow businesses. Okay, again, this is just the tip of the iceberg right here. Peep game now. This is the important part. This is what you got to because just because you brought up Amazon, Bruce. Amazon is the leading cloud provider for the United States intelligence community. The leading cloud provider. In 2013, Amazon entered into a $600 million contract with the CIA to build a cloud for use by intelligence agencies working with information classified as top secret. Then in 2017, Amazon announced the AWS secret region which allows storage of data classified up to the secret level by a broader range of agencies and companies. Amazon also operates a special GovCloud region for U.S. government agencies hosting unclassified information. You, you hear this? Amazon is the largest cloud provider and is the leading cloud provider for the U.S. government. So all that facial recognition that Amazon doing, you think they're not sharing and swapping information with the government? Listen, people are so worried about the government collecting their, their information. I can't remember the guy's name now. He's a, a private eye and, you know, kind of a, a security, security specialist. 
he says people are worried about the government, but what about Facebook, Amazon, Google, all these people? These are the people that we are willingly giving our information to these people. We don't need to worry about the government. Listen, the, these people collect our information and then they hand it over to the government, okay? So like I said, Amazon, you can, they're doing the facial recognition. You've got Google Power. I was in a hotel lobby one time a couple years ago, and it said powered by Google. The fuck you mean powered by Google? Okay. This is, this is what's going on right now. And it's like, and it was talking about like, like the security cameras, you know what I mean? Like the security was powered by Google at airports, at airports. They got the facial recognition down at this point. When someone walks through the airport, their name comes up on the camera. Okay. When, 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 when you look at that individual through the camera, their name and their information comes up. It's already in there. It's already happening. And people don't even realize it. Okay? They can tell who a person is, where they came from, where they're going to, just by their image in a camera, in a video camera. That The, the level of technology right now, and that's why I'm glad you brought up the Amazon, Bruce, because that's what's going on right now. So yes, Amazon is the new world order. One thing I want to put out there, and I want you to kind of wrap your mind around it. Folks, definitely write this down. What we call the new world order, a better name for it, is the global regime of economic interdependence. I'm going to say that again. The global regime of economic interdependence. And all that means is that these companies, these um, multinational corporations, they have no allegiance to any individual country. And this is where people get it fucked up because they say, oh, American corporations doing this. What American corporations? They ain't no American corporations. They are multinational corporations. They may have a headquarters in America. They may have a headquarters in New York, but they have a headquarters in China, in the UK, in Thailand, <laughs> in Singapore, <laughs> okay, in Australia. They have headquarters in all these places. If New York goes down or the U.S. US economy collapses, they'll just tip their ass on over to the next place and continue doing business. And it's interdependence because they are interdependent on each other. They don't compete with each other. They help each other. Okay? Another term people should, should uh, look up, the, um, the interlocking directorates. Look it up, folks. Write that shit down and look it up another time if you want to. Interlocking directorates of the major multinational corporations. The interlocking directorate, directorates. Because when you look that up, then you see, oh, okay. So let's say there's 500, Fortune 500, right? If you look at the board of directors of those Fortune 500s, you may see a lot of similar names or certain similar names. You may see someone who's on the board of directors of hundred different corporations, a hundred different multinational corporations. How can you be one individual on the board of directors on a hundred different corporations? You think they're going to each board meeting and two? No, listen, it may pop up one time a year and, or they may have a big phone call or something like that, or a big conference call, you know, like the big fucking, what do you call it? The, the James Bond supervillain screen where they have a hundred different screens on the wall and everybody's looking at this motherfucker and they say, look, this is what you're going to do. And this is what they do. 
you know, they follow suit because there's no, it, it, there's no democratic process. You know, there's no chain of command per se. It's you have the people who give the orders and everyone else follows. If you're in the room and you're not the shot caller, then you're definitely following orders and you're keeping your mouth shut. You see how people are taking this fat, this vaccine. It's a very similar thing. And part of it, part of the thing that makes me believe why people are so quick to get the vaccine is because of what people are posting online, what people are the, the, the like, and how people are so quick to follow a suit just because of what another person says. Mm. So now you're making, you're making a lot of sense. Like it, and it turns into like, hashtags it turns into like mm. it turns into a it turns into a lot so now nah, you're 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 spot on so it's making sense what i'm saying right now mm -hmm. yeah so when you think of the new world order think of it as the global regime of economic interdependence you understand that and a lot more things are going to fall into place um this book is so dense I don't even know if I can like this book. So this is the Hydra of Carnage. This is by Craig B. Hewlett. Craig B. Hewlett is one of my favorites. He is a geopolitical analyst. If you want to get this book, go to uh, CraigBHewlett.com and order it. You can call them up and order it. Tell them Brother Cam sent you the Hydra of Carnage. Don't worry about how much it is. Get this damn book. I'm telling you. And while you're at it, get... His other book, Corporatism and Fascism. Corporatism and Fascism, a philosophy, corporatism and empire, excuse me, a philosophy of fascism, postmodernity is problematic. Okay, this book right here, if you've listened to his interviews, if you've listened to Craig Hewlett's interviews, reading this book is like sitting there and listening to Craig B. Hewlett talk. Okay. I've learned so much from this man over the years. And and for someone like me, I was reading Bill Cooper when I was, you know, 19 years old. I was reading Phil Snyder when I was 19 years old. I was reading David Icke when I was 19 years old. So I had a lot of that stuff kind of as my foundation and other things. But then, and, and that helped me to do research on a certain level. Craig B. Hewlett, Help me to bring all that information together and really make sense of it, okay? Craig B. Hewlett, H-U-L-E-T. Check him out, ladies and gentlemen. You won't be disappointed. And he's the one who introduced me to the term global regime of economic interdependence. Check it out, folks. You know, th this stuff about Amazon, like there's a, there's a bunch of good articles about it, about what they're doing. And their connection with the government and all that, but but you hit it right on the head, Bruce, where you said Amazon. Yeah, was that? No, like I was even in, even you taking out a book and you like going going deeper into like like uh, technology being the new world order and just your opinion. What do you think about the? What do you think about a world without books? Mm, that would be dreadful. That's what I think about yeah, it. That's what's, that's what's, and like, I'm not talking about like people aren't going to read. No, what's going to be is it's going to be on your Kindle, on your, on your phone. And that's where people are going to get like textbooks are all going to be online. They're all going to be 
Like, there's no gonna, there's, there aren't gonna be any literal, like, people aren't gonna know what a book is in 20 to 30 years. Same thing with, like, CDs. People are not gonna know what a CD is in 20 to 30 years. Mm-hmm. And the problem with it, with books, is now what, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're basically weeding out the books that you don't want people to read. It's like a Fahrenheit 451 situation. Mm-hmm. Because now the only books that people are going to have real access to are the ones that are going to be on the accounts. So Boom. that's that. That's where, you know, that's like, that's another form of just technology forcing people into, into something, forcing you to read something, forcing you to not have access to other books like yeah a physical copy of a book is not going to exist in a couple of years which is wild to think about a lot of the physical is going to be removed and replaced with technology that's yep basic so yep my man dale g said the metaverse that's right people are going to be going in to read books in the metaverse listen and, and to speak mm-hmm. to bruce's point about books disappearing the the books one, not every book is going to make the cut to digital realm. And you're going to need people like us, literally people like us who are going to have to put these books into digital form. Now, one thing you're going to see is that makes it even easier to delete content. I was um listening to the 1984 audio book the other day. And yeah. And they were talking about, you know, the ministry of truth and how they were able just with the, you know, the swipe of a button or something like that, they were able to delete history. You know, they were able to delete people, make them non-people, non-persons and and, and wipe away the history. You know, they, they, and they talk about how the generation that could remember was wiped out. So when we're seeing that now, too the way that elders are being killed with this virus. And that's a whole other thing because, you know, we talked about that in the past shows. But you have to get rid of the people who remember and then you have to get rid of the content. Yeah, exactly. Just like they did with the Bible. Exactly. You you just, you start to delete. You can delete, change content, make little changes here, make deletions there. And then people will have no concept of what happened in the past. Look, there's, look, there's still people running around today who believe Osama bin Laden blew up the Twin Towers. Listen, if you are an adult in 2022 and you think that bin Laden had anything to do with 9-11, then I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you because you probably had got that shot in your ass too, willingly. Because I'm not knocking people who got the shot. Because a lot of people did because they were coerced to do it. But... If you got that shot in your ass and were willing to do it, you probably also believe that Bin Laden pulled off 9-11. Biggest that biggest okie doke in human history until COVID. That's all I got to say about that. But going into censorship, Bruce, you um I'm sure you heard about what's going on with Joe Rogan right now, right? Joe who? Rogan? Mm-hmm. The mixed martial artist? Yeah. You see that? That's why I love you, man. 
<laughs> he said, Joe Rogan, the mixed martial artist. Have you ever listened to his podcast? You know he has a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's on the fire. He's on the fire right now from Spotify because, you know, basically he had a couple doctors come on there. And the narrative that they presented was far different from the official narrative when it comes to the COVID lie. And each interview was about three hours long, three, three and a half hours long. Great interviews. And I've been listening to these doctors since the pandemic began. So it wasn't a lot of new content to me. There were some new things I hadn't heard, but great information. Dr. Peter McCullough, he's an internist and a cardiologist. He is one of the most um, highly public. He is the most highly published doctor or physician in his field with over, what, 500, 500 or 700 peer-reviewed papers. I think he has 600-something peer-reviewed papers, okay? Dr. Peter McCullough. And then Dr. Robert Malone, who is the inventor of the mRNA. He holds a few of the patents to the mRNA technology, the mRNA vaccine technology. He's a vaccinologist. He has worked with... um, you know, the uh, health and Do- Department of Health and Human Services, the CDC. When the Ebola broke out a few years ago, he's the guy that's called. When this thing broke out in Wuhan, he knew about it November, December, and he was called into it. Okay, so this dude, neither of these dudes are slouches. But what they're explaining to people is a little bit different than the official narrative. So what, what chain of events did we see? Come into play, and it took a few weeks to happen, but you had all these artists now pulling out of Spotify and saying, I will not be on a platform with a c- conspiracy theory, whatever the fuck they're calling him, vaccine denier, anti science, whatever the fuck they're calling Joe Rogan. Why? Because Joe Rogan's being paid by Spotify. They're pulling out, they're pulling their music off, and Spotify. Is putting pressure on Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan put out this apology, and it was a whack ass apology. You know, he had to do what he had to do because that's the business. Um, but they proceeded to delete 130 of his shows, 130 something of Joe Rogan's shows off of Spotify. I promise you, folks, those shows were most likely not about vaccines. He made this like 10 minute apology video. On, on Instagram explaining what happened, you know, it, it, apologizing for bringing on these doctors and whatnot. They're, they're basically trying to defund him at this point, defund Joe Rogan. And that's how they do. They put this pressure on and they expect people to buckle under this pressure. John and I always talk about the financial castration, right? financial castration and how these people like you think you're cool until you're not cool basically and that's what we see happening with joe rogan right now so this is to the point where the white house is involved in it and that is a telltale sign of tyranny right there if i've ever seen one ladies and gentlemen because 
why is the White House involved? Not just why is the White House involved, but how is it that they have so much power over a private uh, private corporation like Spotify? And Spotify, they say, oh, no, we're not a publisher. We're just a content provider, right? So Spotify was able to wiggle their ass out of the position. But in the end of the day, they put the pressure or the artists put the pressure on Spotify to put the pressure on Joe Rogan. Now, people say people say that Joe Rogan is a controlled opposition. You know, they put him in that category with Alex Jones. They say that oh, Joe Rogan can't be trusted. He's he's controlled opposition and all that shit. But and maybe he is. Maybe he's not. All I know is um, Joe Rogan is definitely one of those people I've uh, I've benefited from listening to his content over the years. I think he's provided a platform for a lot of people. He, he's brought a lot of conversations to the mainstream. You know, people would have never people would have never um, experienced if it weren't for him specifically not even someone like him if it weren't for him so you know big up to him for that i was watching rt news the other day they were talking about how he has episodes that have 11 million listeners 11 million listeners per episode so when you are a government entity and you want to control the narrative a great way to do that is to put pressure on the people who may Spouse different beliefs than what you're putting out. Straight tyranny. This is straight tyrannical. This is like textbook tyranny, and people don't know because they don't they don't understand what tyranny is. They don't understand the implications of a tyrannical government, what it means, what it looks like, none of that. And so you know, there's a level of education that needs to come with, especially if you're in the United States, a level of education that needs to come with our citizenship in this country. Y'all should check out the Gulag Archipelago. I know we had a Gulag Archipelago episode too, but the Gulag, the Gulag Archipelago will kind of put things into perspective. I've been listening to the audio book. I mean, the audio book, it's like 11 hours per section, seven, eight sections. It's a long ass book. It'll give you an idea of how a nation like the U.S. could descend into complete tyranny and fuckery. I always love when y'all come on and um, you chime in and give you input about what's going on. Yeah. That, that's long as hell. Yeah, yo. The 11 hours, but it's worth checking out the Gulag Archipelago. You know, take out your pens, papers, notebooks, all that stuff. Gulag Archipelago, because we need to really comprehend how something like that occurs in a nation like the United States. And we're not so far from it. And the more we let these governments get away with the small stuff 
the more they're going to feel that they can get away with the bigger stuff. That's a real problem. That's a serious problem. And it's, it's not going to, it's not going to go away. Like we stick our head in the, in the, in the ground like an ostrich and it's not just going to go away. It's only going to increase something John and I have been saying, especially since 2018, 2019, we've been talking about this soft tyranny is getting a little harsher. Well, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, at the cusp, at the precipice of harsh tyranny. And people are not mentally prepared for what's coming next. Yeah, all that shit. All that shit. Joe Rogan and all that came out with this um this this reel of Joe Rogan using the nigger word over and over again. Nigger, 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 nigger. nigger who, who the fuck care? Listen, man. Joe Rogan. It's true he may be a racist white man. He may not be a racist white man. Do I give a fuck? I don't even give a fuck, honestly. Like I was saying, he's presented a lot of good information over the years. He's had really good interviews. And he's, um, I believe his message is being bastardized by something more. It, it, it has less to do with, you know, whatever people are saying it is. Listen, they're bastardizing what the man did. It is what, you know, I, I, I feel like if people really want to know how racist he is, you should go back and listen to his content. You know, go back and check out his content. See how racist Joe Rogan is. He made those comments. Um, all I've seen is the reel that was stitched together. But like I said, I don't give a fuck. I like the interviews that he did with uh, Dr. Malone and Dr. Peter McCullough. I think people should check those out. Because he was able to bring that conversation to a wider audience. Conversation that we need right now when we see what's happening to him. Um, watch your mouth, Bruce. Watch your mouth. Talking about CD-ROMs. <laughs> so, another thing, we see what's going on with, with Whoopi Goldberg, right? Now, again, I really give a fuck what's going on with Whoopi Goldberg in The View. I don't. I don't care at all. I actually could. I don't think there is a fuck in me to give about what's going on with Whoopi Goldberg. And the thing with what Whoopi said, now, what's important about that, if there is something important about it, which I'm not sure if there is anything important about it. She says something about some Kazarian nomads. That's what we call them on this program. We call them Kazarian nomads. And the thing is, when you talk about the Kazarian nomads, you can't talk about them on their platform because then you get canceled for show, which is what we see happening to Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg, you know, thank you, Dale G. It's a distraction. Nobody gives a fuck in the end of the day. She gets a two-week slap on the wrist for saying some shit that wasn't even that important, you know? Watch a comedy show and watch someone insult or make a joke about Kazarian nomads. You don't get laughs. You get <gasps> gasps because you can't talk about them. You're not allowed to talk about them. One thing, and this is all I'm going to say about Whoopi, 
And I'm saying it because we're talking about censorship. One thing I'm going to say about Whoopi and this whole thing is tag, track, and ID. Wow. Martine Wally said, did you know Black History Month in USA is the same month as gay pride in Europe and the turnaround the other way in October? God damn. No, I didn't know that. Well, that explains Black Lives Matter, but we'll come back to them in a moment. We ain't talking about BLM right now. But all that to say, you cannot talk about Kazarian nomads and get away with it. Not on their platforms. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, are we understood? You cannot talk about them. It would be, she's over there talking about these folks on their platform. That CEO probably shit himself. Yeah, what the hell did she say? <laughs> what did that goyim just say? God damn it. <laughs> what do you mean we can't fire her? Hmm? Remember back in the day, we were you and I, we were talking about, um, and we had this conversation off air, but, you know, you want to give a little brief on it, you definitely can. But when we were talking about journalists, mm -hmm. we were talking about the integrity of what a journalist is and what mm -hmm. is happening in the world. And I told you, I said, the world isn't ready for revolution because the world isn't ready to understand what's actually happening. Mm. On top of that, that is because of partially journalists because mm -hmm. of and it's because of that same censorship that you're talking about a lot of people like we're not ready for real journalism we're not ready because if people actually figure out what's happening in this world people will lose their fucking mind we have like if you remember back in the day but not back in the day but in the first bits of quarantine people were losing their mind because they had to stay in the house for, <laughs> for a month or right so. right week ago before the pandemic happened when everyone was working everybody wanted us to stay in the house then yep. when we finally got it it was it was oh my god this is this, these four walls are going crazy i'm going crazy mm -hmm. so, it's, so it's like bottom line is people aren't ready for a world without censorship mm, right and you know i think you and i we we tussled about that a little bit you know mm -hmm. and 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 I disagree because I feel like people need a world without censorship. <laughs> hold, on, hold on, need and what need and what is and what is being prescribed, and not not what like I want to get these words right. Mm -hmm. What is needed and versus versus what people want don't have to be mutually exclusive. Right, and you said I think you said not ready for it, right? Right, we're not ready for it. We need it, but we're not ready for it. We're not, we're not, we're, we're not, we're not in a in a stable place where 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 because censorship is something that we really, we really, really, for my generation, it's necessary. Unfortunately, I hate that it's necessary. It's because it shouldn't be. What you're saying is isn't is. is is a need. We need journalists need to be able to tell the world what really is, what 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 really is like happening. And mm -hmm. journalists really don't do that anymore. So, right. Well, journalists are the last line of defense. You know, one of the last lines of defense between government and the people. Yeah, and 
if journalists aren't telling people what the government is doing, then what are they doing in the end of the day? This is why a lot of times when I talk about the people on the news, I call them news readers. I don't call them journalists because a lot of them aren't journalists and the real journalists aren't being heard because there are a lot of real journalists and good journalists out there. But the, the real journalists aren't being heard and they know that their stories won't get published. They'll be deplatformed. I sent you some stuff, right? I sent you about yeah. Michael Hastings. Did you ever look into Michael Hastings? I think we did together. We talked about it. You can't, you talked, we talked about it. Michael Hastings is someone, as a journalist, you should know exactly who my, Michael Hastings is because Michael Hastings, he's the one that, um, I believe it was General McChrystal. He basically exposed what General McChrystal said about uh, Obama and McChrystal had to step down. I think it was McChrystal. And McChrystal had to step down. He had to retire basically from, from a general. You know, he was talking about how I think Afghanistan is a, basically a shit show and all this other stuff. And I don't know if he, he's sitting there hanging out with a journalist and thought it wouldn't get published or something like that. I don't know. But Michael Hastings did a lot of really great work over the years. And he didn't hold his tongue. And he really embodied what journalism was supposed to be. And somehow... He ended up in a fiery crash, you know, on like a yeah, fiery car crash on some bullshit. And, you know, it appears that his car was remotely taken over and, you know, crashes and it went up in a fireball, too. Like it wasn't a regular crash. It was like everything was wrong. And like he was a good driver. You know, like he was a like extra. His friend said he was an extra cautious driver. Like he didn't fuck around on the road. That he was that type of driver. So for him to be driving over a hundred miles per hour down, like can't remember, it was some main boulevard in L.A. Then for his car to end up in a fiery crash and you know the engine flung like went through a fucking tree or something like that. Like something was fishy about that, you know. And then a couple of years later, it came out that, yes, the government does have the technology. It came out in the Vault 7 stuff. I don't know if you heard about the Vault 7 disclosures. That was one of those, I think it was a WikiLeaks hat. Vault 7, that let us know that the government can do a few things. The government can remotely take over people's cars. The government can do a hack on themselves and make it look like it was done by someone like the Russians. Um, things like that. So people suspect that Michael Hastings' car was um, remotely taken over. Another one is, help me out, family, Dark Alliance, Gary Webb. Gary Webb, an investigative journalist back in the 1990s, and he was the one I've been, uh, I started listening to the audio book, again, audio book of Dark Alliance, and this shit is unbelievable. Because not only did the U.S. government help to distribute cocaine and crack to the black community, they helped to create crack cocaine. They helped to create it. Because people, I think it was in Colombia, were smoking the, the residue. Because when, crack, when cocaine is processed, there's this kind of gray sludge that comes out. I think they call it basa or something like that, right? It's like this gray sludge that comes out of it. And so they smoke that. Mm. <laughs> so they, man, I know. I don't know, B. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they smoke this gray stuff. It's called basa. 
It's the byproduct of the coke. It's some foul shit. And finally, scientists were able to do a study on it and, and its effect on people. And they realized that pe people will keep smoking the basa all day long. If you just kept replenishing the basa, they would just smoke it all day. And once they finished smoking it, then they would go out to find some more so that they could come back and smoke it some more. They wouldn't eat. They wouldn't sleep. They would just smoke their basa. And they were chasing the high, constantly chasing the high. This is what was used. They said, okay, we're not going to use basa, but we're going to find a way to basics and make it so that this could be manufactured with cheap ingredients. And that's where and how crack emerged in the black community. Government was completely involved in that. And I learned that just listening to um, Dark Alliance, Gary Webb. Great investigative journalist. Gary Webb ended up shooting himself twice in the back of the head. Twice in the back of the head? Let's just say in the head. He ended up shooting himself twice in the head to commit suicide. Just let that sink in, folks. He shot himself twice in the fucking head. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, we've had a lot of investigative journalists, and that's what, you know, brought me back to WikiLeaks. There is so much stuff in WikiLeaks, folks, that... Like the Amazon thing, I just stumbled on that. And that's on the front page. And even up until today, I've never heard anyone but us really talk extensively about Amazon and their control over the cloud. You know, uh, one of my tech homies, he he kind of comes to, to at it from a different angle. And he told me, you know, we were talking about servers and, and you know, getting getting into the cloud and getting on the Amazon cloud. Okay, cool. But I didn't realize Amazon was actually a contractor, a private contractor for the government. That puts that whole shit into a whole different perspective. So this is what we're dealing with right now, ladies and gentlemen. So all that to say, investigative journalists, you know, what, what WikiLeaks has done, what Edward Snowden has done, because Edward Snowden is a whistleblower. We've had lots of whistleblowers, the Edward Snowden, the Susan Lindauer. Susan Lindauer told, gave us the disclosure on, on pre-9-11 intel that they had. Sibel Edmonds, Sibel Edmonds, she was the FBI translator who, who basically disclosed uh, Operation Gladio. Operation Gladio, folks, if you want to know what that is, you could look it up. Or you could go back on our archives. We have a lot of Operation Gladio shows. Um, William Binney. The NSA whistleblower, these are all people who have come out. They've worked with journalists. They've been journalists, too, because they've done their own investigation and brought the facts to the people. And there's enough information that if people, I mean, if people knew the truth, they would drag these motherfuckers through the streets. They would have tribunals for them. They would hang them. They were all kind of shit. You know, what did we say at the beginning of the show? The government's not going to take away your weapons until it's time to do something that they would get shot over. Remember that. Moving right along. You hear about this shooting in Minnesota? There's been a lot of shootings. Yeah. This one, um, this young man, Amir, Amir Locke, was shot in Minneapolis. Now, this is one of those no-knock no, no raids. In the same city as George Floyd was killed, Amir Locke in Minneapolis, he was sleeping. I don't know if it was at a friend or a relative's apartment. Police came in now with a no-knock raid. Now this shit was creepy because they they have they released the the body cam video and these motherfuckers had a key. And they slowly they undid they unlocked the door, crept in, 
And he said, police, police, no knock rain, no knock rain. His brother was sitting on the couch. He got, um, he didn't wake up from that. They kicked the couch. He jumped up. He had the gun in his hand and they shot him. Happened very fast. Fucked up. I know. Shot him fast. And, you know, it was, he was licensed to carry the gun. Everything was legal. He didn't do anything wrong. The, the, the warrant wasn't for him. But these no-knock raids. Here we call it the ski mask way. Okay? The ski mask way. Mark from Michigan, Mark Cornkey, he calls them the multi-jurisdictional task force. This was a SWAT team. So this SWAT team apparently wasn't police necessarily, but they were the ones that execute these no-knock warrants, these no-knock raids. And, you know, people made a fuss about it. And people are making a fuss. This was just the other day now. So, you know, we could talk about all the usual shit, police corruption, all that shit, because we know, we know, you know, and the, the militarization of the police. We know these things already. This is happening. This is just another example, in my opinion. This is just a lynching right here. We don't need to go into too much detail, but just to acknowledge that a young brother was shot by the police, you know? One of the things that, you know, and I, I'll say this on the airwaves. I want to be able to legally carry. I want to be able to legally conceal carry. The problem is, not even the problem, but one of my one of my biggest red alarms are the police. Because even in the Philando Castile situation, Philando Castile, he had his weapon on him, but he was telling the police, he told the police, I have a gun on me. It's right here. And the police said, okay, don't reach for it. He said, I'm not reaching for it. He said, don't reach for it. Don't reach for it. And shot him. He reached for it, though. Whether he was reaching for it, he was doing too much around his waistband. And it's not to blame the brother for getting shot, but the police will use any justification to shoot a black man, especially when he's armed. Right. And that's, that's, the, that's the thing. That's the thing that not worries me, but has me, like, cautious. Because the moment you... The moment you pull out a legal gun, you're you're a legal threat. Why would you pull out a legal gun? I didn't. It's not pulled out. It's it. The moment I say, "Okay, I have a gun on me," I'm now a legal threat to you, regardless if it's out or not. Same way, same way as the, the dude who got his house broken and the gun was just sitting on his lap. He never pulled it out. He never tried to threaten nobody with it. But I'm legally able to carry. So if I'm legally able to carry, same way I'm legally able to carry a guitar on me. If I want to walk down the street and play the guitar, mm -hmm. if I want to legally carry a gun, I can legally carry the gun. And if you're pulling me over and I'm telling you I'm legally carrying the gun, that's it. There shouldn't be any. And I'm not reaching for it. I'm not nothing. I'm obeying with your orders and all that. And the crazy part is these cops will ask you for your license, for your this, for your that. And mm -hmm. the moment you reach for your wallet, they think you're reaching for your gun. Right. See, so this is one thing. And um, I don't know if you and I have talked about this a lot in the past, but this is something that I try to stress. You know, I, I got a level of education, especially as I was coming of age, about how to deal with the police. Because especially as black men in this country, we have to de-escalate. Okay. We have to understand the art of de-escalation. When you have guns in your face, and hopefully you never do, 
when you have guns in your face, you don't have the luxury of being scared or being nervous or, you know, going into fight or flight. Your ass has to freeze. Your ass has to, you know, maintain your cool and talk these officers off the ledge because they will use any justification to shoot that black man. So that's for us. That's part of the education that needs to come with it because we do have a right to have that firearm. You do have a right to have it and you should have one if you want one. And you should also be taught, taught the competent use of that firearm, the laws of the state and the city that you're in and how to maneuver when you are confronted by a law enforcement officer in certain states. When you're pulled over and you have a firearm, you don't need to disclose it to the officer, a state like Arizona. At least those used to be the laws. I don't know now. But then in other states, if you get pulled over, you need to say to the officer, yes, I have a firearm. They're going to ask you, where's the firearm? Oh, it's on my waist. Oh, it's in my glove compartment. You know what I'm saying? And then go from there. Doesn't mean you're going to get a ticket. Doesn't mean you're going to get arrested or shot. But you need to be able to articulate yourself. I saw a video the other day. He's a firearms instructor. Dude was tatted, tatted down. He had a Glock on his chest right here. I know the one, it's the one in the car. The one you saw that. Car. I know exactly. And you saw that. came in and they said, he's like, yeah, I got the AR and this in the back. And this yeah, and that. they said, is it unloaded? Is it un No, it's loaded. But what happened to him? He was nothing. He got let go. Absolutely. And Absolutely no, nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing happened to him. Go ahead. But then you get these, you get these, these, these encounters with, and because yeah, I understand the idea of de-escalating, I understand the idea of like, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta have, if the police are doing this, we gotta de-escalate the situation, we gotta, we gotta, but then, then it's like, and I know, we know these people, we gotta, like there was one time I was at a frat party. No, it wasn't a frat party. It was like a it was like a college party, but we were in the loft. Somewhere we were not supposed to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're we're in the loft and we're partying, and then the cops come in. So we all run. We're all running. I go hide in the bathroom. Well, not hide, but I ran to the bathroom and I got in a little situation. Not situation. It was a cool situation. But um, one of my friends, mind you, he's white. The cops are pulling up. Everyone's walking out. This guy walks up to the cop with his fingers pointing at him. Now I have a point, like touching his chest, going, I paid five fucking dollars to get in this place and you're going to kick me out? Guess what the cop did? Arrested him? This, nothing. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. When people talk about de-escalating from police, it's like, I, I understand it, but when I'm telling you, I have this, I have this, I have that. Granted, we don't know what what happened in the car. What like what what like I I don't know what he was, how quickly he was reaching or this or that. But I remember the cop saying, "Don't reach for it, don't reach for it," and he said, "I'm not." Right then and there, that should have been it. And I I hate to to bring up like this or that. Go ahead, but it's like. When you when you see a bunch of like caught white people just or just people outside of our skin treating police like like I know I forgot I forgot who did the, the comedy sketch. It might have been Dave Chappelle. But Dave Chappelle's 
I, I can even bring up different things that Dave Chappelle has brought up when it comes to white people and cops. Mm-hmm. You know, when he when he when he said, "Oh, uh, sorry, officer, I I didn't know I couldn't do that." Right. That's some right. real, real shit, and it's like when it's when it when it when it comes down to those quarters, they don't have white people. They're not in the they're not in the stage of let's de-escalate the situation. When they see cops, they get fired up. They get so pissed off. I came my house. You've not seen my house. Yeah, well, it's a it's a different world view too, and you know, there, there's so much that we can say about that. I know I believe it's W. E. Du Bois. He talks about the double consciousness. You know, a lot of people have talked about this. Yes, we have a completely different experience in the United States. This country was built on racism, and so there is um there's a, a that that still exists today. And so we have to learn how to maneuver through this society. And, you know, you, you want to end up, you want to make it to an old man in the end of the day. You know, if you look at the media and the movies, if you look, if you look at the news, you're always seeing some black criminals. You know, it's been like that since, for a long time. Um, if you see, look at shows like Cops, those are commercials. Those are propaganda pieces. If you look at, um, I mean, it goes all the way back. We've always been since, basically since um, Jim Crow, since Reconstruction days, you know, the, after 1865, since Reconstruction, there's been steady propaganda compliance. And really before that, you know, criminalizing, demonizing black skin in the end of the day. They, they would call us inferior. They would call us stupid. They would call us criminals. They would say that it's, a, it's our nature. And, ignorant. Right, ignorant. But they wouldn't talk about the great achievements that we had. They wouldn't talk about the great things about us. And so it wasn't a problem until we as melanated people started to believe it. That's when you know, it really you know became a problem. Go you ahead. Know what's crazy? My old God rest her soul, or you know, rest her soul. But one of my favorite teachers, Miss Stevenson, she had us do. We were in sixth grade. She yes. had us do for for Black History Month. She she had us write these papers. She gave us um, she gave us uh people to research, do a research paper on, and they were obviously black. Now they were things like like a kitchen knife, or things that we use every single day that black people invented. And when we were doing it, it was hard for us to find information. It was hard for us to find, you know, it was it was hard for us to to to, to find exactly who this person was and what everything was and what they did. And and that was the big point of what Miss Stevenson was trying to drive to us. Like, hey, listen. You know who Ben Franklin is. You know who these white, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, uh, inventors are. But when it comes to things that you use every day, it was invented by a black person, and you don't even know his name. Not to say like you are ignorant yourself, but it just shows the state of the world that, you know. Yeah. 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 So there is um, it's 
scholar J.A. Rogers. J.A. Rogers has a great series, man. He, he was doing work back in the early uh, 1900s, like 1930s, 40s, 50s, something like that. And he had these comics of these, these uh, blacks in history. He had color, what do you say? Nature Knows No Color Line. I think he wrote that, that book. And he talks about all these people throughout history who were melanated that we would never know were melanated people. And he has a comic book series, like little comic strips where it would show people, you know, like all kinds of people. That's where I learned about the, um, the writer of the Three Musketeers. Uh, what, what's his name? The French guy, I can't remember his name, how he was a black man. I didn't know he was a black man. <laughs> but I learned, you know, I learned from J.A. Rogers about that years ago. I said, oh shit, Dumas, Alexander Dumas, you know? And um, Alexander Dumas, his father was actually, he was, his father was a black man. He was, um, I think he was a general or a sergeant in Napoleon's army. He was a bad motherfucker, swashbuckling motherfucker, sword fights and all that shit, you know? And even though he was, you know, fighting against the Haitian Revolution, leading troops in Napoleon's army, he was still a bad motherfucker, you know? He was doing his thing. So that was the father of Alexander Dumas, the one who wrote the the um the Three Musketeers. When I was a child growing up, I never ever heard anything like that, you know. And we could talk about the the third rail on the train, um, the filament, the the what do you call it, the carbon filament in the light bulb because Edison's light bulb that shit always blew out. But the father, Louis Latimer is the one that put the filament in the light bulb to make sure that it remained. The I think um, a, a bunch or a majority of the patents for the first cell phone go to a black man. The super soaker was invented by a black man. Um, the refrigerator, the ice box was invented by a black man. The elevator. We wouldn't have these skyscrapers if it weren't for a black man. You know, uh, there's so many things that were invented by black people that we that we would never know. And, and, and you know what? Your, your professor, your teacher did the right thing because, look, this is how many years later and you still remember that assignment, right? Yeah, I definitely do. Because I remember and I just I remember I was getting so frustrated because, you know, you, you could you you. you because, you, you know, when you're writing, when you're writing like a two, three page paper, you want to be able to put in as much stuff as you can. But when mm -hmm. you're only given a limited amount of stuff to stretch three pages of research into a three page paper is damn near copy and pasting. And she really, she really understood, like she really understood that we were all going to write shitty papers. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what it was like. I wish she was alive today so I could have that 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 conversation. Just telling her like, yo, you were some and that's why, yo, some some of my teachers, they were ahead of their time. And so what what she did was she planted the seed. And a child is never too young or anybody, they're never too young or never too old for you to plant the seed. And then that seed at some point, it's going to germinate and it's going to grow into something. And it's like, if you have a seed that you could plant on somebody, just plant that seed, just drop it in the soil. You know, maybe the, maybe the soil isn't habitable 
for that seed at that time, but that seed will just sit there on the soil. And then at some point, the proper rain is going to come and the seed is going to drop down into the soil. And then the soil, the seed is going to start to germinate. It's going to take root in that soil. And then at eventually, it's going to start to push through the dirt because the light is going to touch it in the right way. It's going to push through the dirt and it's going to grow into something. That seed can sit there for 15 years, but at some point, it'll start to grow. That's what your teacher did for you. That's what your professor did for you. She planted that seed. And look at you now. It's grown. Yeah, that's how I look at music too. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Look, so we're talking about, you know, what happened with this young man, Amir Locke. It's um it's tragic what happened to him. We've been talking about the multi-jurisdictional task force and the joint task forces. This is um no not grades is gonna continue. This is what we call the rise of the Gestapo, folks. You can definitely check out our, um, we have, I think, three or four episodes of Rise of the Gestapo. Just look them up. Go look it up on, you can go to the SoundCloud, go to Rise of the Gestapo and see what we're talking about in there, okay? But one thing, I was looking through the news. One thing I did not see were Black Lives Matter protests after this young man was murdered. Maybe they happened now. Maybe they didn't. Black Lives Matter, they're under fire right now because their founders, they basically fucked off that money. There's $60 million that's unaccounted for. These uh, these leaders, one of them bought a big-ass house. One of them put, I don't even know what the fuck. Listen, there's a whole bunch of fuckery going on with Black Lives Matter. This is the thing. Black Lives Matter is, yes, they have these three black women, these three lesbian black women at the forefront of it. The organization is not, I mean, when you see the protest going on, let's say, hey, peace, peace, homie, how you doing? We see the protest going on in New York City. It's mostly Caucasian people, okay? And that's good, you know, white folks coming out, protesting, that's good. But then you got the Antifa motherfuckers who are like attached to them at the hip. Antifa motherfuckers, again, a bunch of white folks who are out here burning shit down, okay? Those are the ones who are burning shit down. Those are the folks who come in and they tear shit up. And if you see, you know, you hear about the people like the George Soros, um, the, the, the George Soros and those type of people um, putting money into these organizations. And we call them useful idiots. So that's what they call them, useful idiots, because they come and they play their part. And as soon as the elites are done with them, they throw them to the wayside. If you look at any communist, communist, socialist, nationalist uh, type of movement over the years, especially when it comes to like the Soviets or the Nazis, those are the ones you especially want to look at, because then you'll see they took people like Antifa type cats those were the ones that were out there and they, you know, they did whatever damage they were supposed to do. Sometimes they killed people. Like in the case of um, the Nazis, as the Nazis were coming up, you had the brown shirts. The brown shirts, I don't remember what they were called now. <laughs> he said a bunch of snowflakes is a blizzard. That's right. Um, the Nazis, they had the brown shirts. The brown shirts are the ones uh, of the light, the night of the long knives or the nights of broken glass. 
the night of the long daggers and they went around and you had the whole Reichstag fire, but they were going around to the houses of the generals from the Weimar Republic. The Weimar Republic, that was the former government of, in Germany after World War One, during World War One, and after World War One, And they went around to the homes of the commanders and they would knock on their doors and they would shoot them and kill them because these are the people who had the keys to the armories, right? The brown shirts. Well, when the brown shirts were doing done doing what they were doing, you had the black shirts, the SS, the Schufstaffel, or however you say those motherfuckers' names. The SS, they were in the cut. The brown shirts didn't even know the SS existed. And when the Schufstaffel came out, they killed the brown shirts because that's what you do. You purge, you, you let the idiots purge and then you purge the purgers, okay? That's what happens. So when you look at like the Antifa cats, when you look at even, I mean, Mark Cornkey, Cornkey he, he really lays it out. And that's why I, I recommend people check him out. Uh, America in Peril, parts one, two, and three. Mark Cornkey, K-O-E-R-N-K-E. Or Mark from Michigan, if you could find him under that. He, he explains how when they try to pull this in the U.S., you're going to have the multi-jurisdictional task forces, and these people are like the brown shirts. And it's not just the multi-jurisdictional task forces. You're also going to have the gangs, the gangs in the U.S. And the gangs are basically because they have their their level of organization they have their you know a way to finance themselves they have firearms access to all this stuff and it, maybe it's not all the gangs but enough of the gangs are going to be used these are going to be the people that are kicking in doors um robbing people taking people up putting people in into camp fema that type of thing killing people and we saw that down in um in Houston when they had the uh when they had the hurricane, Hurricane Harvey a few years ago. There was a lot of people that got shot by gang members and they were left for dead. And you know, you had first responders going down there tagging the bodies and everything. And when they opened up the levees in Houston, all those people were washed into the Gulf of Mexico. But they said that they were walking around and there were people that had been shot mysteriously, like for no reason, just people like purges. There's Purges are going on in this country right now, and people don't realize it. There's a lot of purging going on, even with this disease. There's a lot of purging going on. So all those people are the brown shirts. The black shirts are going to be the next group to come in. I, I, don't, I only have an idea of who these people might be. These might be the Operation Gladio cats. These might be the, the Russian Spetsnaz that are here. These might be the Chinese Special Forces that are here. These might be the... The Gurkhas, the Gurkhas, whoever, the bad motherfuckers that you don't want to fuck with. There's a lot of different international troops in this country right now who have been here, who have been training for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And they're with the United Nations. And then they're with, you know, shadow aspects of our government. And these people are here to kill Americans. They're here to find out who would be a dissident. Cornkey, Mark Cornkey says that, you know, let's say you have, he said, I think 70,000, I can't remember how many, 
gun owners, he said, seven out of 10 people, let's say, are gun owners, right? One out of seven of those people, when they are told to turn in their firearms, they will turn in their firearms. That means you have, yeah, he said 70 million. That means you have 10 million people, potentially, who are willing to fight back when tyranny shows its face. I remember when um, you even you even had the conversation of like, yeah, uh, at the end of the day, we want to grow old. Absolutely. I want to grow old. Mm -hmm. I also understand that, you know, there's a fight that has to be had. Mm -hmm. And if there's, and if you're not, if you're not seeing the solution, you're part of the fight. Mm -hmm. So I realized my life, I will never see the solution. I will never see the end result of, you know, of a greater, of, 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 of a greater good. That, the revolution, the, the big end game fight, the big Avengers end game fight hasn't happened yet. So until that happens, we will always be in this, in this back and forth. So while yes, I want that, I want my future children to see a better world. I want my nephews to see a better world. I want the people coming under me to see a better world. And you know, when it when it comes to to even like like the idea of fighting back, like I remember when um, Trump supporters when they stormed the Capitol building. I sat there and said, you know, it's a dumb reason for you to storm the Capitol building. But I can tell you this, every black person was standing there were like, we kind of respect it to an extent. Because mm -hmm. it's like, if we had, mind you, if we had that, if we was doing that, we'd have to come in there with with automatic weapons and rocket launchers. Because they would have, <laughs> that would have been an all-out war. But... <laughs> You gotta. It has to be. It has to look like the Travis Scott concert where people were just trampling over the, the the gate. That's what. That's what would have to happen at the White House, and we would have to come in there. Pause. Yes. Pause. Bob Mancante back shot. Okay. <laughs> yes, yo. Yes. Um. Dale G said something that I agree with wholeheartedly. I was going to say it too. Even though you say out of your mouth that you're never going to see it, you might see it. You might see it. And it's okay to say that too. You know? I'm going to see the day when the revolution comes. I'm going to see the day when these people are held accountable. Say it. Say something like that. See how it feels in your chest when you say it. I'm going to see the revolution. Ooh. How'd it feel? Honestly, not believable. <laughs> it's okay. And I, Don't, hate, mm -hmm. I, I, I hate to say it like that. And the crazy part, the fight isn't with, it's not the physical. We're not fighting with hands and, and guns. I, um, it's not with that. Mm -hmm. I think the fight, we're fighting mentalities. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, the mentality of people 
and 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 the the mentality of people right now, we're not ready for a revolution. And I, I keep saying it, I keep saying it because I just see it so freaking often with the people my age, with how we run this, how we think about stuff in this world. Granted, I'm I'm one person, and I would, and I'm always a person that I want to have so many other people on my side. I want to have, I want to have the whole world and just, 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 but the reality is for me is until the fight happens where we go and do what we got to do and, and we take this, when we burn this shit to the ground and we take it over, then, yeah, then, 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 then I will see the revolution. My question is, Who's really? I don't know who's really gonna be there. No one my age is gonna be. I'm gonna be running with. I hate to say it. I'm gonna be marching with people your age, marching with the 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 the, the older crowd because the people my age when I we're not. I I wrote a bar. I said maybe the Matrix is our slave, just used incorrectly. Listen, you're already seeing the revolution. You're already seeing it, and that's the thing. Yes, Dale G said it. No one will be ready, and that's fine. Grown men will stand up. This is the thing. People are ready for it. They are ready. It's already happening right now, and that's why the, the psychological warfare is being ramped up. And it's easy for someone like me and a bunch of other people on here to see it because, again, what do we all, what I always tell you, I ha- I've had the luxury of time to process this shit. I've had 20-plus years to process what we're seeing right now. That's the difference. We're already, the revolution already started. We're already in it. It's already happening. It's already unfolding. And if you pay attention to the right places, then you will get to see it happening. To me, this should look great. You know? And look at the lockdown that happened in 2020. I think that lockdown happened because of a goddamn coronavirus. That shit didn't happen because of coronavirus. That happened because of worldwide revolution and people were talking and social media was was able to um, not just spread the ideas, but help people see that, yes, this is going on in different parts of the world. You know, you remember what was happening in 2019. You had what was going on in Hong Kong. You had what was going on in France with the yellow vests. You had revolutions in um, was it Colombia? You had I think it was revolution in Ecuador, some kind of political unrest in Ecuador. You had revolution occurring all over the world. It's worldwide revolution right now, and all they could do is lock down the planet. So this thing is happening. I you know, I've seen different waves of the revolution too. One thing that that kind of stifled the revolution was when Obama was elected. Because especially in the United States, because people say, okay, we got this well-spoken black man. We can let our guard down. We can chill out for eight years. Like, no, listen, Nick, motherfuckers were about to burn this bitch down under George Bush, okay? Because they tried all that bully shit and people were not having it. Then they threw us Obama and people kind of calmed down. But then fucked up shit was happening under Obama too. Remember, Occupy Wall Street popped off under Obama. That didn't pop off under George Bush. People were down on Wall Street saying, y'all are doing too much. Y'all are stealing our money. Y'all are fucking us over. And that was nonpartisan until it was co-opted by some leftists, okay? This is what I'm saying. The revolution has been happening. It's been popping on. 
and people, people in this country, look, you hear about the 3% and you even hear the media bastardizing the 3%, but, and, and as an organization, but 3% is 3%. That just means, listen, in the American revolution, 3% of the people fought back against the British. Everybody else rode the fence, period. 3% of the people fought back. And it wasn't just fighting with firearms and going and squaring off with armies. Listen, it, everybody doesn't have to be a frontline soldier. You know, we need nurses and doctors who are going to treat people who are fighting on the front lines. We need people who are going to provide safe houses for people. We need people who are going to provide food for troops. We need farmers who their one job is to grow food and they're, you know, skimming off the top because the fucking dogs of the state are now uh have commandeered their farms but they their family farms so now they got to give these people food and water but listen we're going to skim off the top and we're going to give this to the revolutionaries who are fighting for our freedom okay maybe they have access to firearms maybe they're gunsmiths and they're able to bang out a rifle a day you know maybe they're that good that they could bang out 10 rifles a day let me give these over to the revolution you know what I'm saying? That you got someone whose one job, he makes ammo. He just produces ammo. He gives that off to the revolution. You know? You got people who are going to provide medical services. This is what I'm saying. Like, the revolution is already happening right now. We have people in the system, out of the system. When I worked in foster care, I saw the revolution when I was working in foster care. You know? I couldn't believe how many sisters I met in working in the school system, you know, who had been there for 20 years, 15, 20 years, and who put themselves in a position, okay, now I can start to bring in black books for these children, children you know, books with their faces on it. I remember I, I went, I was at one school, I can't remember where it was, it was like in Brownsville in Brooklyn or something, or something like that. And when I went in there, I couldn't believe I walked in there. There was a whole bunch of sisters like Rasta women with their heads wrapped and the books that they had on this. It wasn't even Black History Month. They had all these books with like uh, George Washington Carver and Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X. So all that to say, you would see all these sisters, all these sisters with their head wraps, you know, in, in, the, um, in the front office. And... That's when I knew what time it was in in those schools. So there are people in the systems, there are in the system, there are people who are willing to fight back and everybody has their own role to play. And your role, maybe you're not supposed to be on the front line, but if you believe in this cause, then you know the revolution is here and now. And you have to you have to play your part in it. Because there is no going back from where we're at right now, ladies and gentlemen. This thing is too far gone. I mean, even the segment that, that we're moving into right now, this shit, because I've been talking about 2025 for some time now. You know, and I always bring up the Deagle projection. I always bring up the Deagle projection and, and exactly what that is, but... I don't, you know, I don't always go into detail about what it is, but I think right now is a good time to kind of put things into perspective for people. 
because listen, it's 2022. You know, I give thanks that I'm alive right now and that I can witness what's going on out here, you know? And when we talk about Operation Ring of Fire, that was something that I came across around 2012, something like that, maybe 2014, Operation Ring of Fire. And that was, you know, the explosion of factories, warehouses, explosions at, uh, at tra- excuse me, train derailments. And this was something to kind of usher in some new world order stuff, right? So a couple of things came to my attention. Oil spills, right? Heard about the, the oil spill in Ecuador, January 28th. Major oil spill that's running into the river over there. All right. Lima, Peru. There's an oil spill January 21st after the tsunami. In um, California last year, October 4th, there was an oil spill off the coast of Southern California. And then this latest oil spill, the Nigeria tanker explosion. And the name of the tanker is the Trinity Spirit. The Trinity Spirit. That motherfucker exploded. Okay. So to me, this is Operation Ring of Fire stuff that happened on February 3rd. That's Operation Ring of Fire stuff. You know, I've been talking about Operation Ring of Fire for months now. In the media, we saw when the Gulf of Mexico had that fire in just a random fire that popped off. And they said, look at the Ring of Fire. Then you had an explosion around the same time in the Caspian Sea. Where a ball of fire came out of the water. What the fuck is going on? Then you had the eclipse shortly after that, the solar eclipse. They called it a ring of fire eclipse. Okay? So as we were talking about Operation Ring of Fire, all of a sudden these ring of fire incidents popped off. Even the um, Pacific Rim is what they call the ring of fire. Okay? So volcano to pop off in the Pacific Rim and caused a tsunami that washed up onto the shores on the West Coast. To me, that's still part of Operation Ring of Fire. Part of Operation Ring of Fire, it is igniting explosives, bombs, maybe nukes in volcanoes to cause volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, and destabilization, okay? It is the explosion of factories and warehouses it is the derailment of trains. So that's just something for people to kind of keep their eye on, you know, keep in the back of their mind. You remember that um, earthquake over in the Canary Islands and how when you, when you looked at the earthquake map and you zoomed in on it, I can't remember which one it was now. I, we have it on the past show. But when you looked at the actual earthquake map on, it's not the USGS, it was another website. But... It was in a perfect grid pattern. The earthquakes were in a perfect grid pattern, okay? Remember, above the earthquake, they had what they called gravitational waves. Folks, if you know about these uh, directed energy weapons, then you already know what you were looking at. Anybody who knows about dues, directed energy weapons, you know exactly what you were looking about. So the media can tell us anything. We know what we were looking at. Somebody was fucking with that earthquake in the Canaries. They stopped 
but then, but then we got hit with the tsunami from the West Coast. To me, that means we need to pay attention because we could still get hit with the tsunami from the East Coast, but they're not ready to just drop that on us just yet. Be mindful. As always, stock up on food, water. One can of beans is a meal. Three cans of beans is a day's worth of food, okay? So just think of it like that, ladies and gentlemen. We don't need to go into that. We talk about that all the time. Have nutrient-dense superfoods. This isn't just some cool shit that I say. This is something for people to move on now while we have time. All these oil spills popping off. There was a huge one in, in uh, Trinidad a few months ago. Lima, Peru, in January 21st, Nigeria tank explosion. Okay, Operation Ring of Fire shit. That's just in my humble opinion. Operation Ring of Fire shit, right? The name of the program today is War on You 2025. Talk about this 2025 date all the time. I know I don't always go into depth about what it is. I drop little tidbits about what it means. But folks, we need to take seriously the approach of 2025 because 2025. Yeah, war on you 2025. If you got to check out the um the promo, then you'll see what I'm talking about. There's been big talk. There's um something on YouTube, I believe it's called The Future of War 2025. Okay? And when you listen to these people talk, it sounds as if they're anticipating a new war in 25. But this date keeps coming up for different reasons. And I know that we're in Agenda 21, Agenda 2030 right now. That's the UN Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, where they are shifting us to this technocratic economy and technocratic society. One of the things that needs to happen in this technocratic society is that the US Constitution basically needs to be banished, for lack of a better word. So that's why you have people, you know, politicians, they've been doing this for a long time. I mean, and, and even going to the Second Amendment. If you read the Second Amendment, look, I'm just gonna read it. <laughs> and I'll let you interpret it for yourselves because it's pretty simple. They try to say, uh, what what did, what did one of these assholes say? I'm just going to read the right to bear arms. I want to make sure. I just want to hear it word for word what it is and not the interpretation of it. Because it's pretty clear. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Pretty simple, right? A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. What is the definition of infringed? Because I feel like that might be the only word that with which people are not familiar. What does infringe mean? To transgress or exceed the limits of, violate obsolete, to defeat, invalidate, to encroach on someone or something, engage in trespassing. 
from the Century Dictionary, to commit a breach or infraction of, act contrary to, as a law, right, or obligation, transgress, either by action or by negligence, violate or break, to annul or hinder, okay? To encroach, trespass, intrude, followed by on or upon, as to infringe upon one's rights, okay? So I think it's pretty simple what infringe, do y'all get what it means? Y'all get what infringe upon means? So let's go back now to the Second Amendment. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the law of the land. So any law that infringes on our right to bear arms is an illegal law. Plain and simple, and people will argue, you know, whatever, the militia clause and all that shit. Listen, it's just saying that you want to keep a free state, you need a militia. Plain and simple. But the actual right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Plain and simple. So, like we said in, you know, the previous two segments, earlier in the show, the, the government won't ban weapons until it's time to do something that they would get shot over. Plain and simple. And that's something that, you know, people are going to have to kind of tussle with inside of themselves when it comes to their role in how this next few years goes down. But that's straight from the Bill of Rights right there. Right of the people to bear arms shall not be infringed. Plain and simple. Right. Now going back to this 2025 thing, right? I want to bring y'all to, because this is a little heavy. I've referenced this plenty times, but I haven't always gone into depth. I actually had to go back to the archive. Deagle.com. Okay. So this news came out. I started hearing about it between 2015 and 2017. Deagle.com. Deagle.com is some kind of defense contractor website. Deagle.com. Their sources are the U.S. Department of Defense, Department of State, the CIA, the World Bank, and the European Union. If you are to ever type in hashtag Deagle2025 on Instagram, See some content come up. People talking about the Deagle projection. That's D-E-A-G-E-L. Deagle projection is actually from the year 2015. So from about 2015 to 2017, this website remained the same. The year 2015, the population of the U.S., 321 million people. Density? 33 inhabitants per square mile. 33. Country's a big place. Most people are relegated to the cities, to the major cities, 12, 13 major cities. Gross domestic product, $18 trillion. GDP per capita, $55,855. Okay? So that's 2015. The forecast. Now, this is the part that folks need to wrap their minds around. 2025, the Deagle population forecast 
61 million people. 2015 is 321 million people. Population in 2025 is forecast at 61 million people. Density, population density is six inhabitants per square mile. That population of 61 million people is minus 81% from 2015. 81%. Where are 81% of Americans going to go in the next three years? This is from 2015. I just want y'all critically thinking. I'm not trying to tell you how to think. I just want you to think. GDP per capita, $15,517. Where are people going? When we talk about this war in 2025, we have to understand that there are plans in place. And when you tabulate all this information and data, for some reason, this think tank or whatever this fucking deagle.com is, came to the conclusion that in three years from now, there would be 61 million people in this country, down 81%. And they adjusted those, you know, as soon as this, because this has been out, like this has been kind of disclosed by people. Because people saw this and said, hey, what the hell is going on? What are you talking about? Numbers have been adjusted. So now they say, you know, 90 million, 100 million people. That's still two-thirds of the country gone. Where'd they go? This is before coronavirus, too. Where'd they go? Just asking the questions, folks. That's all. If you look at high-speed rail line 2025, they have plans and projections for the U.S. then, too. 2025. 2030, 2035, 2025. They plan on expanding that throughout this country. You can only imagine the eminent domain and the people that are going to be. Listen, the corridors that they want to create, they're going to be like some Hunger Games shit, okay? Because from my understanding of the high-speed railways, the corridors that they create, they want to they protect it with, if whether it's TSA directly or with... Um, Agents like TSA agents to protect the infrastructure, to protect uh, boarding points. And that's not even to mention the, um, the avionics folks over in Fredericksburg, Virginia, Israeli avionics corporations who want to have a certain level of control at the ports, biometrics, automatic coupling and whatnot. There's... um. A lot of things, again, we always talk about the militarization of the infrastructure or the the weaponization of the infrastructure. This goes back to the weaponization of the infrastructure. This is what they want. These are their plans by 2025. Three years, folks. Three fucking years. And this is one of many reasons why we're so passionate on this show and on this network because the culling has already begun. All right? We tried to warn folks coming all of 2019. We were warning folks about the pandemic. If you don't believe me, go back to past shows. Go back to our 2019 shows and see for yourself. We told you 
2019, they're coming, they're gonna, excuse me, 2020, they might release a pandemic. We told y'all this shit and it happened. We're not psychic. It's not from being psychic. It's from reading what's going on and following suit. So here we are in 2022. And I'm telling you that these people want to cull 81% of the country. And it's not just the U.S. This shit was going on. I just pulled up the U.S. This is going on all around the world. By 2025, they want to make a sizable dent in the population. Looked into... Bill Gates and Gavi talking about the Marburg virus. I think I spoke about it last week. You might want to check last week's show. Gavi, that's Bill Gates' organization. You know, he puts a lot of money into them. Those are the people who um, who basically crippled all those uh, folks over in India. And I think they want Bill Gates' head now. Gavi is saying that the Marburg virus might be the next big pandemic. The Marburg virus, that is the precursor to the Ebola virus. Understand that and understand where we're headed. The major drug that Anthony Fauci mandated for the treatment of of coronavirus, of COVID-19, is remdesivir. Remdesivir was tested out in Ebola trials. The reason it was pulled from the Ebola trials is because it killed too many people. But for some reason, Anthony Fauci thought that would be the perfect drug to use for the treatment of COVID-19. Now they're using that drug. Lots of people are dying. For one reason, that drug is usually administered far too late, according to the doctors who are speaking on it. Remdesivir, it is by the time it is admitted and it is used for treatment, it might be, you know, seven to 15 days after the initial infection. By then, it's too late. What increases the risk of kidney damage and death? If we are hit with a Marburg pandemic, now, I've been saying that you can go back and look at shows all through 2021 because I don't believe COVID is the big pandemic. I believe COVID was just a way to implement some of the infrastructure that they wanted to implement. That's what I believe. But if we get hit with a Marburg pandemic, baby, you're not going to need a PCR test. You're going to know a motherfucker is sick with Marburg virus. And if you've seen the movie Unlocked, it's not unlikely that they would release the Marburg virus into the population. The Marburg virus is a hemorrhagic fever. Any hemorrhagic fever is fucking terrifying because it liquefies the organs. You start bleeding out of your asshole and your eyeballs and your orifices. Shit is horrible. But if that was going on, yes. Yes, people would be convinced to quarantine. People would allow the government. People are already allowing the government to do whatever they want to do. Imagine a a fucking disease like that. Yes, a nigga sneeze on the train and you're going to beat his ass for sure. Because now you're really playing with people's lives with the Marburg virus.
deagle.com. If y'all want this link, I can send the link. You're not going to find it necessarily in online. You're going to have to go to um, archive to find it because they're not making it. Not that they're not making that available, but you know, you're going to have to do some work to actually locate it. Recommend you do. That's just one thing. You know? It's Deagle 2025, the Deagle projection. You can look that up. Like I said, if you want it, I'll send it. Or I'll show you where to go get it. But, you know, we're on borrowed time right now. Another thing for 2025, so again, this goes to my melanated people now. We are in the international decade of people for people of African descent. We are three years from the end of that decade and most black people don't even realize that we are being celebrated worldwide. In 2020, there's supposed to be a conference against racism, xenophobia, genocide, all that stuff. Of course, it didn't go down because of COVID. What we're dealing with right now, we have three years to get our shit together. Whatever reparations we think we're going to get, probably not going to happen. But let me not say that. We, we need to get organized. And I don't mean get into the streets and start marching because that shit is pointless and futile. No, but we need to start holding people accountable. See, we, we even with reparations, the UN is all right, like, already, like, look, you niggas are old reparations. We all are old reparations. But from where would the reparations come? That's what folks don't know. And let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Because, you know, I've been documenting for a while who would actually pay us reparations. And people think, oh, it's the U.S. government. Like, eh, U.S. government, you know, they might pay us some reparations, but it's not really the U.S. government. They would probably owe, pay us a little bit of um, reparations, but reparations would really come from organizations like Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, CSX Rail, maybe Deutsche Bank. But people think that, you know, the, the conversation is relegated to the U.S. government. And then when it comes to the public, people think that, you know, especially white folks, they think, oh, well, black folks are coming to take my money. I never had slaves. You know, I, my people never had slaves in the first place. Well, y'all can keep your money. It's not about you white people. It's about the Vatican. It's about the Queen of England. That bitch rides around in a gold carriage. I don't even think it's gold plated. I think that shit is solid fucking gold, okay? The Pope sits on a, a golden throne with gold encrusted walls and jewels encrusted walls. You telling me that they can't strip that down and solve some hunger? I had a friend who went out to Vatican City when she was in high school for a class trip. She told me about all the jewels and the wealth that the Vatican has. And then she told me about all the homeless people sleeping out on the Vatican steps. What? Homeless people in the Vatican steps? 
get the fuck out of here. That's absolutely ridiculous. But so all that to say, there is there are plenty institutions, and that's not to mention like there are so many institutions, and just you know, I started doing some homework. Like, okay, for people who are interested in in, in um reparations, look up here's a here's a rabbit hole for you. Look up slave insurance. Slave insurance. Wells Fargo Bank. That's another one. Wells Fargo Bank. Check them out. I'm just going through and seeing if I can uh, pull up some of these people who owe reparations because then it'll put this conversation into better perspective. Because we're doing a lot of talking right now, but this timeline is also coming just as fast. And it's way past the time for conversation. You know, people might need to buckle down. And uh, people talking about bugging out, you might want to bug in. <laughs> Just in case. Because <sighs> you might not have time. You might not have time. You know, three years. Like, some people might get away. A lot of people not going to get away. And that's not to be negative, but that's just, again, to put things into proper perspective. So the uh, International Decade for People of African Descent ends December 31st, 2024. Oh, yeah, man. This is this shit is horrific. And, you know, there's a lot like if people... Refuse to educate themselves, especially in these times. We're all lost. Like we can't be running out here. You can't have a bunch of geniuses running around with a bunch of idiots. That's not gonna work. And if you're listening to this show, you are definitely a genius. And we can't be out here running around with a whole bunch of idiots, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just going through. Um, Tweets that day. Y- y'all can check me out on Twitter too, Kazi Cutlass, at Kazi Cutlass on Twitter if you want. I'll be talking big shit on there. But I'm looking for where I've been documenting, documenting this this reparations thing because I've been actually writing down the names of the people who owe the reparations and what they did. Like I said, look up slave insurance. Look that shit up. See how you feel about that. Slave insurance. And look at the the companies who insured slaves. They played a major part. They would put insurance out on the slaves if the slaves ran away, if they got injured. And a lot of times they would bankrupt the plantation owners. If the plantation owners couldn't pay or, or, or make good on their debts, these people, I mean, the banks would loan loan the plantation owner, owners money and use the 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 slaves as collateral listen hmm think is a joke and that's just really the tip of the iceberg too but that's just another thing coming for us in 2025 folks you know this is um you you, you got to check out that deagle Deagle projection, the Deagle 2025. 
that shit is horrifying because that really puts things into perspective for us. You know, now's the time to fight. Not later. Now's the time to fight. And you fight just like we were saying earlier in the show. Whatever your method of fighting is, then that's what you got to do. Not expecting you, you know, to, to, to take up arms or anything like that. Because that's not what it's about. It's not about taking up guns and, you know, running up into here or there. Nah, it's not about that. It's about educating yourself and finding out what type of role you want to and can play. And then playing that role to the best of your ability. But it starts with education. So you got to skill up. And you have to know what's what. Here we go. I think I found it. I did a tweet July 12th, 2021. I said, coincidentally, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo are just a few of the financial institutions who laundered more than $43 trillion out of the U.S. leading up to during the financial collapse of 2008-2009. This is the reparation stuff. This is actually from April 30th, 2021. I said, reparations are already happening. Black folks spend too much time arguing over who should not receive them. We should be discussing who owes them. You might be surprised. And I said, indigenous artifact repatriation on the Wake Up Radio. Now, there's another thing. The indigenous artifact repatriation. Start in repatriating these artifacts to their proper cultures. These museums are filled with stolen artifacts, artifacts that have been forcefully taken from people. Some of them were coerced out of people. Some of them were forcefully taken and should be returned at this point in history. Aetna was in the business of slave insurance. The current net worth is $65 billion, okay? New York Life Insurance sold slave insurance. Their net worth is over $590 billion. Brooks Brothers used to profit off of enslaved people. Its revenue is about $1.2 billion. Norfolk Southern benefited from slavery. It is worth roughly $50 billion today. Bank of America is worth roughly $2.32 trillion. They were involved in making loans to plantation owners, leveraging enslaved people as collateral if the owners defaulted. J.P. Morgan Chase is worth about $3.21 trillion. They too were involved in making loans to plantation owners, leveraging enslaved people as collateral in the event plantation owners defaulted. Wells Fargo was worth a measly $1.7 trillion. They were involved in making loans to plantation owners as well as leveraging enslaved people as collateral when plantation owners defaulted. Okay. This is um this is just to give you an idea. And then now, coincidentally, Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo are just a few of the financial institutions who laundered more than $43 trillion out of the U.S. leading up to and during the financial collapse, collapse of 2008. Y'all got to peep the book. Andre Eglishan, Thieves in the Temple. Thieves in the Temple. If I could find it. <clears throat> oh, boom. Some contemporary monetary scientists have tried to blame Andrew Jackson's termination of the second bank of the U.S. as the reason for the 1837 panic. 
They say that we must have privately owned central banks to handle our monetary policy and point to the 1837 panic to justify that position. I strongly disagree with them. All these pre-Civil War monetary reform measures failed because of the same thing. Fractional reserve banking always leads to inflation. History screams at us to learn that anytime you give bankers the power to create money out of nothing and loan it back to the government at interest, they're going to expand the money supply until the money in circulation becomes worthless. Fractional reserve banking laws are nothing more than a license to inflict great harm on the nation through unbridled avarice of a handful of men. Andre Eglishan. He wrote these words. This was published in 2004. This is the before the financial collapse. And he said that a financial collapse was on the horizon. And he said that when the financial collapse comes, there will be another stripping of the assets of the American people. So when I tell you that $43 trillion was money laundered and siphoned out of this country, that's what I'm talking about. When that happened, okay, folks, Dale G. Jr. said, follow the money. U.S. national debt. Oh, golly. When did this happen? $30 trillion. $30 trillion the U.S. national debt. That shit was like 28 or something the other day. I got to go back and look. Go back and look at the last week's show or the week before. $30 trillion national debt. But hold on, where are we at? That's not all. Total U.S. debt, $86 trillion. Total U.S. debt. $86,446,124,000,000 going up 100000 in less than a second. Hold on. Where are we at? Where's my clock? I don't even have a timer on me. You ready? Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. U.S. total debt going up a million dollars every ten seconds. A million dollars every ten seconds. A million dollars every ten seconds. A million dollars every ten seconds, ladies and gentlemen. I could have sworn I didn't realize it was. I, th- I thought it was at fifty something total U.S. total debt. I thought it was at fifty something last time I spoke, but maybe not. It's at eighty six trillion dollars. There's no fucking way that we are gonna get ourselves out of an eighty six trillion dollar hole. National debt is thirty trillion. U.S. total debt eighty six trillion dollars. So going to the debt clock time machine talking about this 2025 right the they call this the the budget showdown 2026 budget showdown 2026 i'm not sure what that means 2026 saying u.s national debt at this rate will be $52,589,200,000,000 And this shit keeps going up. So at this rate right now, 
U.S. national debt will be at $53 trillion, of $52 trillion, almost $53 trillion. You can't, you can't even count to a trillion. Listen, you got to understand that these people have no good intentions for us, folks. Andre Eglishan wrote this book. He published it in 2004. Got to listen to a speech of Andre Eglishan. I first came across him on Coast to Coast AM. Shout out to George Norrie. <clears throat> and he blew my mind. It was so good to hear this brother speak. And, you know, a couple years ago, he died. So now he's gone. We can never ask Andre Eglishan what he thinks about what we're seeing right now. And, you know, he, he rang the alarm. He tried to warn us. Now he's with the ancestors. Rest in power. You know? That's why I say everybody's got to play their role. He says that uh, most people do not understand that controlling a nation's money and credit is a powerful weapon against the sovereignty of its people, and economic weapons are just as devastating as nuclear weapons. That's what Andre Eglishan says. They don't need to control us with weapons. They control our pockets. And the way they describe, I mean, the way they treat us is the way that the U.S. treats so-called third world nations. Pay attention to this. So I've heard about this being mentioned in reference to what we might see today. This is about the crash in the 30s. People scrambled to get their money out of the banks as the chaos and panic continued in the weeks following the crash. So great was this panic that President Roosevelt in March of 1933 shut down the banks, declaring a banking holiday. Banking holiday, folks. Just listen to that. You can even look that up and see what comes up. This was done to keep banks from becoming insolvent. Remember, Banks only keep a fraction of their deposits on hand to cover withdrawals. If too many people show up at the same time wanting their money under the fractional reserve system, the banks cannot pay. If that were to happen today, then we'll really see the technocrats come out. Remember when they hit us with that too big to fail bullshit? Yeah. <sighs> Folks. I'm not signing out just yet, but I really want you to, you know, kind of consider what we've talked about this evening and understand that the fight is just beginning. And again, it doesn't have to be a physical fight necessarily. There may be some bloodshed, but there's a lot of voting that can be done. There's a lot of accountability that can be held. For one thing, we got to get rid of the Federal Reserve. I'm just, I'm just keeping this debt clock up as a, as a reminder for myself as I watch this shit. Savings per family average $17,000. The average family in this country 
has $17,000, almost $18,000 saved. And you know what? That number doesn't change. It's not like that number goes up. That number just sits there. $17,975. Meanwhile, and who knows? That number might be dropping and we don't know it. The interest on the U.S. Hold on. U.S. total interest paid. Oh, the unfunded debt and interest. $3,333,582,708,000. It's just going up. It's just a fucking joke. Now, I believe Black History Month is every day. It's Black History every day. But because of the month, I'm going to read this little excerpt right here. It's from a book, Autobiography of a People, Three Centuries of African-American History Told by Those Who Lived It. So these are actual accounts. And even though this is a melanated man, I think everybody can take a little inspiration from the words, the actual words of Nat Turner. From Confessions of Nat Turner. These are his confessions. Virginia, 1831. So this is after his revolution, after his capture. Sir, you've asked me to give a history of the motive with motives which induced me to undertake the late insurrection, as you call it. To do so, I must go back to the days of my infancy and even before I was born. I was 31 years of age, the 2nd of October last, and born the property of Benj Turner on this county, in, of this county. In my, in my childhood, a circumstance occurred which made an indelible impression on my mind and laid the groundwork of that enthusiasm, which has terminated so fatally to many, both white and black, for which I am about to atone at the gallows. It is here necessary to relate this circumstance, trifling as it may seem, it was the commencement of that belief which has grown with time and even now, sir, in this dungeon, helpless and forsaken as I am, I cannot divest myself of. Being at play with other children when three or four years old, I was telling them something which my, which my mother, overhearing, said it had happened before I was born. I stuck to my story, however, and related some things which went, in her opinion, to confirm it. Others being called on were greatly astonished, knowing that these things had happened and caused them to say in my hearing, I surely would be a prophet, as the Lord had shown me things that had happened before my birth. My grandmother, who was very religious and to whom I, am, I was much attached, my master, who belonged to the church and other religious persons who visited the house and whom I often saw at prayers, noticing the singularity of my manners, I suppose, and my uncommon intelligence for a child remarked I had too much sense to be raised, and if I was, I would never be of any service to anyone as a slave. To, to, to a mind like mine, restless, inquisitive, and observant of everything that was passing, it is easy to suppose that religion was the subject to which it would be directed. And although this subject principally occupied my thoughts, there was nothing that I saw or heard of to which my attention was not directed. The manner in which I learned to read and write not only had great influence on my own mind as I acquired it with the most perfect ease, so much so that I have no recollection whatever 
of learning the alphabet. But to the astonishment of the family, one day when a book was shown to me to keep me from crying, I began spelling the names of different objects. This was a source of wonder to all the neighborhood, particularly the blacks. And this, and this learning was constantly improved at all opportunities when I got large enough to work while employed. I was reflecting on many things that would present themselves to my imagination. And whenever an opportunity occurred at looking at a book, when the school children were getting their lessons, I would find many things that the fertility of my own imagination had depicted to me before. All my time not devoted to my master's service was spent either in prayer or in making experiments and casting different things in molds made of earth. In attempting to make paper, gunpowder, and many other experiments that although I could not perfect, yet convinced me of, of its practicability, if I had the means, I was not addicted to stealing in my youth, nor have ever been. Yet, yet such was the confidence of the Negroes in the neighborhood, even at this early period of my life and my superior judgment, that they would often carry me with them when they were going on any roguery to plan for them. Growing up among them, <clears throat> with this confidence in my superior judgment, and when this, in their opinions, was perfected by divine inspiration from the circumstances already alluded to in my infancy, in which belief was ever afterwards zealously inoculate, inculcated by the austerity of my life and manners, which became the subject of remarks by white and black. Having soon discovered to be great, I must appear so and therefore studiously avoid mixing in society and wrap myself in mystery, devoting my time to fasting and prayer. By this time, having arrived to man's estate and hearing the scriptures com commented on, on at meetings, I was struck with that particular passage which says, quote, seek ye the kingdom of heaven and all things shall be added unto you, end quote. I reflected much on this passage and prayed daily for light on this subject. As I was praying one day at my plow, the spirit spoke to me saying, quote, seek ye the kingdom of heaven, and all things shall be added unto you, end quote. Question, do you mean by, do you mean by the spirit? Answer. The spirit that spoke to the prophets in former days, and I was greatly astonished, and for two years prayed continually, whenever my duty would permit. And then again, I had the same revelation, which fully confirmed me in the impression that I was ordained for some great purpose in the hands of the Almighty. Several years rolled round in which many events occurred to strengthen me in, strengthen me in, my, in this belief, this my belief. At this time, I reverted in my mind to the remarks made of me in my childhood and the things that had been shown me. And as it had been said of me in my childhood by those by whom I had been taught to pray, both white and black, and in whom I had the greatest confidence that I had too much sense to be raised. And if I was, I would never be of any use to anyone as a slave. Now, finding I had arrived to man's estate and was a slave, these revelations being made known to me, I began to direct my attention to this great object to fulfill the purpose for which by this time I felt assured I was intended. Knowing the influence I had obtained over the minds of my fellow servants, not by the means of conjuring and such like tricks, for to them I always spoke of such things with contempt, but by the communion of the spirit whose revelations I often communicated to them. And they believed and said my wisdom came from God. 
I now began to prepare them for my purpose by telling them something was about to happen that would terminate in fulfilling the great promise that had been made to me. About this time, I was placed under an overseer from whom I ran away. <clears throat> and after remaining in the woods 30 days, I returned to the astonishment of the Negroes on the plantation who thought I had made my escape to some other part of the country as my father had done before. But the reason of my return was that the spirit appeared to me and said I had my wishes directed to the things of this world and not to the kingdom of heaven and that I should return to the service of my earthly master, quote, for he who knoweth his master's will and doeth it not shall be beaten with many stripes and thus have I chastened you, end quote. And the Negroes found fault and murmured against me, saying that if they had my sense, they would not serve any master in the world. And about this time I had a vision, and I saw white spirits and black spirits engaged in battle. And the sun was darkened, the thunder rolled in the heavens, and blood flowed in streams. And I heard a voice saying, quote, such is your luck, such you are called to see, and let it come through or let it come rough or smooth. You must surely bear it, end quote. I now withdrew myself as much as my situation would permit from the intercourse of my fellow servants for the avowed purpose of serving the spirit more fully. And it appeared to me and reminded me of the, of the things it had already shown me and that it would then reveal to me knowledge of the elements, the revolution of the planets, the operation of tides and changes of the seasons. After this revolution in the year of 1825 and the knowledge of the elements being made known to me, I sought more than ever to obtain true holiness before the great day of judgment should, should appear. And then I began to receive the true knowledge of faith. And from the first steps of righteousness until the last was I made perfect. And the Holy Ghost was with me and said, quote, behold me as I stand in the heavens, end quote. And I looked and saw the forms of men in different attitudes. And there were lights in the sky to which the children of darkness gave other names than what they really were. For they were the lights of the Savior's hands, stretched forth from east to west, even as they were extended on the cross of Calvary for the redemption of sinners. And I wondered greatly at, the, at these miracles and prayed to be informed of a certainty of the meaning thereof. And shortly afterwards, while laboring in the field, I discovered drops of blood on the corn as though it were due from heaven. And I communicated it to many, both white and black, in the neighborhood. And I then found on the leaves in the woods hieroglyphic characters and numbers with the forms of men in different attitudes portrayed in blood and representing the figures I had seen before in the heavens. And now the Holy Ghost had revealed itself to me and made plain the miracles it has shown me, for as the blood of Christ had been shed on the earth and had ascended to heaven for the salvation of sinners and was now returning to earth again in the form of dew, and as the leaves on the trees bore the impression of the figures I had seen in the heavens, it was plain to me that the Savior was about to lay down the yoke he had borne for the sins of men, and the great day of judgment was at hand. About this, about this time... I told these things to a white man, Etherold T. Brantley, of whom it had, about whom, on whom it had a wonderful effect, and he ceased from his wickedness and was attacked immediately with the cutaneous eruption, and blood oozed from the pores of his skin. And after praying and fasting nine days, he was healed, and the Spirit appeared to me again and said, As the Savior had been baptized, so should we be also. 
And when the white people, excuse me, and when the white people would not let us be baptized by the church, we went down into the water together in the sight of many who reviled us and were baptized by the spirit. Pause. After this, I rejoiced greatly and gave thanks to God. And on the 12th of May, 1828, I heard a loud noise in the heavens and the spirit instantly appeared to me and said the serpent was loosened. We'll read that part again. After this, I rejoiced greatly and gave thanks to God. And on the 12th of May, 1828, I heard a loud noise in the heavens and the spirit instantly appeared to me and said the serpent was loosened. And Christ had laid down the yoke he had borne for the sins of men and that I should take it to and fight against the serpent for the time was fast approaching when the first should be last and the last should be first. Question, do you not find yourself mistaken now? Answer, was not Christ crucified? And by the signs in the heavens that it would make known to me when I should commence the great work and until the first sign appeared, I should conceal it from the knowledge of men. And on the appearance of the sign, the eclipse of the sun last February, I should arise and prepare myself and slay my enemies with their own weapons. And immediately on the sign appearing in the heavens, the seal was removed from my lips and I communicated the great work laid out for me to do to four in whom I had the greatest confidence, Henry, Hark, Nelson, and Sam. It was intended by us to have begun the work of death on the 4th July last. Many were the plans formed and rejected by us, and it affected my mind to such a degree that I fell sick, and the time passed without our coming to any determination how to commence. Still forming new schemes and rejecting them when the sign appeared again, which determined me not to wait longer. Since the commencement of 1830, I had been living with Mr. Joseph Travis, who was to me a kind master and placed the greatest confidence in me. In fact, I had no cause to complain of his treatment to me. On Saturday evening, the 20th of August, it was agreed between Henry Hark and myself to prepare a dinner, dinner the next day for the men we expected, then to concert a plan as we had not yet determined on any. Hark, on the following morning, brought a pig and Henry Brandy, and being joined by Sam, Nelson, Will, and Jack, they prepared in the woods a dinner, where about three o'clock I joined them. I saluted them on coming up, and Will, how, how came he there? He answered, his life was worth no more than others, and his liberty as dear to him. I asked him if he thought to obtain it. He said he would, or lose his life. This was enough to put him in full confidence. Jack, I knew, was only a tool in the hands of Hark. It was quickly agreed he, we would commence at home. Mr. J. Travis, on that night, until we had armed and equipped ourselves and gathered sufficient force, neither age nor sex was to be spared, which was invariably adhered to. We remained at the feast until about two hours in the night when we went to the house and found Austin. They all went to the cider press and drank except myself. On returning to the house, Hark went to the door with an ax for the purpose of breaking it open, as we knew we were strong enough to murder the family if they were awakened by the noise. But reflecting that it might create an alarm in the neighborhood, we determined to enter the house secretly and murder them while sleeping. Hark got a ladder and set it against the chimney on which I ascended and, and hoisting a window entered and came downstairs, unbarred the door and removed the guns from their places. It was then observed that I must spill the first blood on which armed with a hatchet and accompanied by will, I entered my master's chamber, it being dark. 
I cannot give a death blow. The hatchet glanced from his head. He sprang from the bed and called his wife. It was his last word. Will laid him dead with a blow of his axe, and Mrs. Travis shared the same fate as she lay in bed. This is confession of Nat Turner. Y'all want Black History Month? You got it. Thank you for everyone who tuned in. Debt clock is now at 30 trillion, 16 billion, 43 million dollars. US national debt. US total debt, 86 trillion, 446 billion, 284, excuse me, 285 million, raising at a million every 10 seconds. Just remember Deagle. 2025. Remember the budget showdown 2026. Remember the high speed railway 2025, 2035. Remember the international decade for people of African descent ends 2025. Remember war, future war 2025. A lot of events will collide in 2025, ladies and gentlemen. Thank for everyone who tuned in. I can feel your energy. I can feel the love. Thank you for sending me the great vibes. As always, you know, check us out at onthewakeupradio.com. Create an account on otwtube.com and find me on there, Kazi Cutlass. You can check out my Twitter too. Kazi Cutlass. Got some fun stuff on there. Big shout out to my co-host, my my uh, brother John, the Masonic Marine from the Truth Group Podcast. Big shout out to super producer Cindy Ashby for bringing us all together. Tune in again next week for the most dangerous two hours in radio on the wake up. Blood individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Deanne. Cindy Ashby On the wake up. Just get your body to move. Won't stop till we shake the room, yeah. Just get your body to move. Why do I need to? Why do I need to? Let on the wake up play. Won't stop till they hear what we say, yeah. Let on the wake up play. Why do I need to? Why do I need to? Just get your body to move. Won't stop till we shake the room, yeah. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie, they do not fulfill that promise, they never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us all unite. OTWTube.com, uncensored free speech platform.